I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. We love to watch. Twas Beauty Killed the Beast. Beautiful bullets. Hey, Pete, here's what's scary. Mm -hmm. We're recording a lot of episodes and not releasing them because I'm going to be I'm going to be out for a little bit with a with a new baby. And we want to keep having episodes week after week after week until you finally unsubscribe. Uh, But uh, I feel like we made that joke on an episode before. And the only reason I'm not aware of it is because it's just sitting in our folders waiting to be edited. Uh, yeah, we've got a stockpile, and if anything happens to our computers, we'll, we will have lost hundreds of hours, thousands of hours, maybe. Um, yeah, and then only that, which also cuts down to about four episodes. Yes, <laughs> I'm, I'm buying a new hard drive every week. Um, the uh, we record for I think people know this uh, 18 to 19 hours, and that's what it's able to get down to that tight hour and a half of mumbly <laughs> loss of train, loss of thought trains. <laughs> Thought trains. Jesus Christ. You know those thought trains are chug and chew? Is, was that an ad advertising campaign for like chew? Trains. I was going to say chew. <laughs> keep on keep on chugging that cool mint grizzly. Is grizzly one? Sure. That's, I like a, that's a chaw daddy. It's something I've never done. I've never, I've never chewed tobacco. I've smoked tobacco. I've, I've done snooze, little pouches, and I did it uh-huh. once, and I was in a drive-thru, and I was like, why do I feel like I'm going to throw up? And I leaned out of the car <laughs> to spit the thing out, because I was like, I'm going to throw up. I better get this thing out of my mouth, and immediately felt better. Oh, because your body knows it's poison. For for a second, I honestly thought you had said, I was... I was going through a drive-by and i'm like hmm like i knew you grew up in the hard streets of chicago but i thought you were pretty <laughs> they a pretty pretty white neighborhood if i had to guess <laughs> oh it's gonna be that kind of so yeah it's an aaron pete show uh which means we're gonna promise at least 50 percent talking about the movie uh and i i'm pretty confident with this movie that we're not gonna go over the runtime uh because it is the third week of Love and Monsters Month here at We Love to Watch, a podcast where we talk about uh, a, a assortment of movies uh, that we decide we keep it pretty secret. It's a whole government body and a process, and sometimes we let people vote on it, and sometimes we're like, fuck you, we're choosing it. It's our show. No one has given us a dollar yet for this podcast. Now, we haven't asked or given people the opportunity, but it would be nice if people just mailed us money to listen to this. And they're not doing. We've given them our address, right? One, two, three, four podcast lane. Uh, every week. <laughs> um, okay. And I feel like the subtext of all of our episodes has been, please help these people. <laughs> <laughs> Preferably financially. For just five cents a day, you could make these people stop making a podcast. Yeah. So, so in this this month, uh, so we do we do months. We pick months of movies. We talk about them. This month, it's our third week. Of Love and Monsters Month. Now, we we spent, Peter, you correct me if I'm wrong here, I think like three months debating, do we call it Love or Monsters, Love and Monsters Month, or do we call it Fucking Those Monsters Month? <laughs> and ultimately, after a lot of debate and our, 
I think overriding desire to be intellectually honest, we were going to cover this movie King Kong and we're like, look, not only is this the one movie we're doing this month where if, if we're being totally honest, nobody fucks any monsters and there's a lot of monsters. And then two- It's a lot of foreplay. And then two, logistically, it's even hard to imagine it happened off screen. <laughs> Yeah, it's a big, it's a big dick, is what I'm saying. It's a big, it's a just a huge monkey dick. <laughs> I just want to point out something, and it has my concerns aren't with the huge monkey dick. That's totally fine. It's above board. Um, I'm not saying so it's not above wants... board. It literally can't fit under the board. It's huge. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know the cover? You know the cover of Overboard with Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn falling off a boat. Uh, well, I do, and I've never been more interested to hear what you're going to say next. It's because a big old monkey dick knocked him off the boat. Is that what happened in Overboard? Yeah, that's how she gets uh, amnesia. Is a big old monkey dick just just like whoa? It's Goldie Hawn, so she's adorable when she falls off the boat. And so what you're saying is Overboard takes place in the same universe as this King Kong movie, and they reach Skull Island but are knocked overboard by King Kong's giant monkey dick? Yeah, 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 yeah. Canonically. Canonically. To the Catholic Church. That sort of canon. Oh, okay. So they're, there's no canon to the King Kong so universe. Are you crazy? So, so they're saints. So it's a saint monkey dick he has because it's been canonized. I mean, if you think about it, doesn't the Pope's hat kind of look like a big old monkey dick? But you think that's what they designed it after? Yeah. Well, they're not going to get yeah. to have sex. How can we make him feel better? I don't know. Put a monkey dick on his head. <laughs> That'll be hilarious. That way he won't be thinking about his dick because he's got one on his head. Problem solved. And I guess what? Tell what? Spoiler alert. Didn't solve anything. <laughs> um, and, and my other concern was that you called him a monkey. Uh, can't we consider Kong an ape? Sure, but monkey dick is way more fun to say than ape dick. Oh my god, so much more fun. But you you were giving me... I, I just want to point out, you were calling me some sort of monkey racist when we, we did the Planet of the Apes movie, whatever, Conquest of the Planet Look, of the Apes, and, you, and I kept calling him monkeys. I mean, technically, like, isn't he a Kong? They don't... They're, they're, it's a planet of the apes. Pretty clear in that one. That... I mean, you have no defense for being a monkey racist. This is... I think it's open to some interpretations. All right. So, let me just clarify one of the many things that sets monkeys from apes apart. Um, Kong doesn't have a tail. What about big floppy dicks? Big floppy dicks? Uh, I feel like monkeys got little dicks, but maybe Ooh. it's a perspective... It's a relative thing. I'm going to tell... I'm going to tell all the monkeys I see at the zoo that you said that. <laughs> Listen to my podcast for a sec. You know that guy? He said she had tiny dicks. <laughs> That's All of a sudden, five years later, one fucking escapes from the zoo and Peter gets his eyes gouged out. He's like, what did I do? <laughs> you know the expression, a monkey never forgets. That's elephants. <laughs> uh, but not this monkey. Uh, anyway, so yeah, we're doing King Kong from 2005, the Peter Jackson directed film. We're very excited to start talking about it. But before we do that... So we're we're really we're really pre-recording this episode. Uh, last week we we did uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula uh, with uh, guest Ethan Warren, uh, and I have to imagine it was a great show, but we don't know. We just don't know what happened. Um, but as as you know, on every single one of our episodes, we always thank the previous guest and then say something specific. That, you know, happened in that episode because we like to have a continuity between our 
we're we're like a serialized podcast that's not serial and also not uh, the other serial. You do do not do not put milk on us and eat us. I would never uh, have joined this podcast if I didn't know it wasn't serial. Oh yeah, no, I tricked you pretty good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you um, goosed me. I'm like, do you want to? Join the podcast serial, and you're like, Well, yes, that would be great for my career. And I'm like, Great, please watch Flash Gordon. <laughs> There's clues and Skype me. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so we're we're gonna now, you're not gonna hear any of this. I don't know why I'm talking like I'm still hosting a podcast, it's all gonna get edited out, but we, you know, we can't say everything that could potentially happen. It's an infinite universe of possibilities. We can't judge everything, but we 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 are going to, you know, throw out some stuff for editing purposes that we think are kind of likely to happen. And that way when Peter when you're editing this episode just, you know, do that thing where you where you say the one that happened and um Yeah. And put it in and then get rid of all this garbage. Do not. Yeah, I, I do what I do every time, yeah. Literally the last five or six times, I feel like everyone's heard all this. Um, and we've been sending the memory loss pills, forget me nows, so that hopefully, oh, just hopefully we can get away with it this time. Yeah. So, I, the way I title my files, I do, you know, movie name and then I do, you know, the version number. And then I do when it's the master version, you know, uh-huh. before I cut it all down, I put master. Uh-huh. Oh, you know what? Is is what's going wrong is that you have like fifty files named movie name? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I send out the master versions of the file all the time with all of the alternate versions in there. You know, that won't happen again. I don't see why it would happen again. No, just start start putting the movie name in there, Peter. It's not that I tell you that every week. It's why we've released Black Cauldron like eight times now. Yeah. Put the movie name. Don't stop. Stop writing literally movie name. And please just put like the title. But movie name. But then you just know that that's where the movie name goes in your head. And you think like, okay, (laughs) you think this episode is about Black Cauldron. So in your head, you go movie name. Peter. Your head is really the middleman in this situation, and I'm going to be honest, probably more situations. Get rid of it. <laughs> get, get, rid of the, get rid of the middleman and just write the movie's actual title onto the file. It's not going to happen. Anyways, uh, so we're going to say thank you for coming on our show last week, Ethan, and then just say some stuff that's likely to happen. Uh, I can start. Uh, thank you so much for coming on our show last week, Ethan. Uh, more importantly, thank you, Peter, for letting me also be on this show uh, with Ethan this time. Uh, no problem. Last time I thought maybe you might be dead weight, but this time I'm sure you're dead weight, but I can't find a way to get rid of you. You mean I was dead weight? <laughs> you Because you said la- they're both last times at this point. You know, it's it's good that you point that out. Last time you were literally dead weight and also figuratively dead weight. You're actually less dead weight figuratively when you're more dead weight literally. My, my, my favorite part of any time we do this is your complete inability to like temporally change your tenses to, to reflect <laughs> what this is supposed to be. Uh, uh, okay. <laughs> you you never think fourth dimensionally, Peter. Something I tell you all the time. Yeah, that's fine. Thanks for being on the show, Ethan. I hope you're enjoying the relief that must come with releasing your feature film west of her. Yeah, I mean that's nice. That's got to feel really nice, right? It's gotta really feel hard. Nice. The trailer looks amazing. Yeah, 
I haven't seen it yet, or maybe I have by now. It's great. <laughs> Just edit it in whichever one is accurate. Yeah. Either I haven't seen it or I have, and it's great. Yeah, whatever temporal space you're existing in right now, that answer is true. Okay. Thank you so much for coming on our show last week, Ethan. And as I said literally hundreds of times on the episode, uh, we do in fact get it that uh, calling the name uh, Stroker is a pretty funny joke. It's uh, it's just not that funny of a joke when you say it that many times. (laughs) But we, I mean, to be clear, like we, there was never a time we didn't get it. I know every time you were like, Bram Stroker, and, and we're like, and then there was like these pauses that sometimes went on for eight to nine minutes. I went and made yeah. a sandwich, uh, and every time we came back and said, no, we get it. I made a little Bram sandwich, and then I had a Stroker. Yeah, Peter. <laughs> we get I it. I was enabling him. I was enabling him. I'm sorry. Only retroactively. You were very angry last week. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thank you for being on the show, Ethan. I hope you're happy that you kicked off a massive teen sensation in Westers. Kids who travel the country placing cryptic tiles all around. So you're thinking he changes his release plan? You kicked off this brand new teen sensation. I'm really I'm really proud of you for having, you know, created a movement that's bigger than you. <laughs> Thanks so much for being on our show last week, Ethan. Uh, I will say, despite the disagreement that we had, I'm going to stick to my guns. And insist that while I do agree that no vampires were harmed in the making of the film, that we don't actually need to give the ASPCA, quote, credit where credit is due. (laughs) Like, I think the reason why no vampires were harmed is because, and I I just kept saying this, they just, they don't exist really. But, I mean, I don't know why you got the tattoo thanking the ASPCA. I don't know why you talked about that much. I don't know why you read a gushing fan letter to them on air. Uh, again, I agree with your central premise. It's just everything else that's a mess. So, like, when this happened, we were like, at first we were like, haha, it's a pretty funny joke. He's sympathizing with the vampires. And then we slowly realized that he's one of those people that believes that the entire world is a simulation and that vampires are just as real as actual human beings. Yeah, it was a little bit of that. And then the other part was that he was a huge Smashing Pumpkins fan and thought, like, you know how... When the Pope speaks, he's infallible. He yeah. thought the same thing about Billy Corrigan. So, you know, when he's listening to Bullet with a Butterfly Wings and he's like, the world is a vampire, Ethan was there just taking notes. Like, this is my scripture now. That's so scary. The world is a whole, the whole world is a vampire. He's not a fundamentalist, Billy Corrigan is. <laughs> he doesn't necessarily think that all the Billy Corrigan words are meant to take literally. Mm-hmm. But he, you know. He thinks that there's meaning behind the words, and Ethan, as he articulated to us, believes that the world is a vampire means that the world has vampires. And I think it's a pretty dicey interpretation of his scripture, but, yeah, you know, who am I to judge? Because I, of course, follow the gospel of Alice in Chains. <laughs> what does he think Earth Day is? Oh, that's his, oh, his... His holiest of holidays. <laughs> it was it was weird when we asked him, do you want to be on our show again? And he just sent back, sure, any day but Earth Day. And we're like, well, it's, you know, February. Um, I love how in Blade, Stephen Dorff is just like, uh, the whole movie is like really sleek and like looks like uh, pretty modern in most senses. And then like all of a sudden it's just Stephen Dorff pops in a frame. He's like, hey, do you know it was the fucking 90s, man? I so when I used to think that the first blade was better than the second blade, all my entire argument rested on Stephen Dorff, and it's that's a good like that he was a better uh, charismatic villain, 
and that didn't exist in the second movie. And that's a good lesson for all you kids out there to uh, not stick with your opinions that you have when you're 15. Um, (laughs) So anyways. Uh, Thanks for being on the show, Ethan. A joyous tile to you, Ethan. Of all the world is now united under the banner of tile. It is the one and only church, and you are our prophet. Tile be upon you, this tile. Is this another West of Her reference? Yeah, there's... I'm kind of... Did you do all West of Her? Got it. And it's good promotion for him. Yeah, Uh, I'm getting (laughs) some sick promotion there. Yeah. Uh, Thank you so much for being on our show last week, Ethan. Uh, I looked it up. You were right. Transylvania is not a real place. Uh, And so Peter and I are very sorry uh, that we kept insisting that you were prejudiced against Transylvanians. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a little unfair. And I'm sorry that we said you're banned for being a Transylvanian racist. Uh, we're going to stick to that ban because we're men of our word, but clearly we were 100% in the wrong. <laughs> I mean, I'm mostly admitting that I was in the wrong because um, he was he was very upset. He was screaming a lot, crying. Honestly, I think he needed that win. Just did not be wrong, but to still suffer all of the consequences. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a very hollow victory, but if that's what Ethan <laughs> takes, I guess. I mean, look, good, great, buddy. <laughs> Glad you're walking away from that feeling like a victor. Thank you for being on the show, Ethan. Okay, okay, fine. Centaurs are horse-topped and people-bottomed. Please stop harassing my family. <laughs> all of these are just about people making mistakes. <laughs> but i gotta tell you i want to see that i want to see oh i suppose it's like the the enemy in zelda 2 the horse head with the feet it's actually not that impressive or bojack yeah. horseman or uh that one boss from the bloodborne dlc let's make references that dig down deeper thank you so much for being on our show last week ethan uh this doesn't um involve you specifically but uh, as long as peter's on this show again I just got to tell you for the last time, I am not interested in your fan edit of Bram Stoker's Dracula that replaces the entire soundtrack with Rob Zombie's Dracula for the entire movie. Please stop emailing me. I am, however, interested in that cut. And um, you made it. It's your fan. I made it. Yeah. That's why you're interested. And that's why I'm not. (laughs) Are you not a fan? Are you not a fan of the Dracula? No. It's a terrible song. It's a fucking Dracula. Also, listen, listen. Look, I watched five minutes of it. Five minutes? Yeah, I I watched five minutes of it. Uh, I don't know how you replace soundtracks, but you replace the voice track too. It's just Dracula over (laughs) over Keanu Reeves. So you? uh, That's probably an improvement. Five minutes. So you just watched like uh, you know the silent portion of two thousand one and be like, hey guys, this movie's just a black screen, and then you turned it off. I gave it 1.3 Draculas. <laughs> got through Dracula, restarted, got to the refrain, I got out. I don't think you're thinking about the deeper implications of Dracula. It's a car <laughs> that's a Dracula, and it also fucks. Who does it fuck? Whoever it wants. It's a Dracula. Who wouldn't fuck a Dracula? Uh, I don't know. King Kong? King Kong. <laughs> King Kong. Move on to your next one. All right. Or or maybe I will. Yeah, or you. Thanks for being on the show, Ethan. 
I do not consent to the search of my person and belongings. I will not say more until Mr. Takashi arrives. Am I being detained? Uh, yeah. No, you are. <laughs> now, crazily, this happened last week and you've just realized that you started to get detained. Uh, <laughs> wait a minute. Why have I been sitting here for a week? <laughs> Tied up by Mr. What is it? Takashi? T- t- yeah, Mr. Takashi. Oh, okay. Has he been making you food? <laughs> He's a good keeper. The official I'm role. Of I'm, Dr. Glad, I'm glad we hired at him. any point in the organization. <laughs> All right, my last one. Thank you for coming on our show last week, Ethan. Uh, truly sorry again that Peter kept referring to every sex scene in Bram Stoker's Dracula as a wham Bram thank you, man. <laughs> I had Bowie on the mind. I was getting a Bowie-ner. Yeah, every time. And then the next scene, another fantastic wham, bram, thank you, man. (laughs) Anthony Hopkins, wham, bram, thank you, (laughs) ma'am. The problem is, is that this one we may accidentally cause to come true because I like it so much, I may say it on the episode. Well, this is some pretty comp. I, I'm going to need like a chart from Movie Primer to figure out what you're saying right now. So, it's like remember the t- television show Lost? Yeah, what happened happened. We may yeah. have just created our own destiny. Yeah. Whew. Except Whew. I'm going to forget this. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, just like Back to the Future, we got out of this one without fucking our moms. Oh yeah, we and and all other ones. <laughs> <laughs> I think There's... you have sex with one mom. You said our moms. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Not moms. No, I yeah, What'd I have sex say? with a mom. <laughs> I mean, I guess it could be like uh, I had sex with your mom, you had sex with my mom situation. You didn't. That's clarify. preferable to the alternative for sure. A hundred percent. I'd much rather it be a mother lover situation than a spanking the monkey situation. <laughs> Any day of the week, you give me those two choices. I'm taking mother lover. I don't even see what your mom looks like. Mother lover. Still. I don't know what your mom looks like. Mother lover every time. Mother lover every time. Not my mom? Great. Um, Thanks for being on the show, Ethan. Upon further (laughs) examination, bears do shit in the woods. Yeah, put that in your pipe and smoke it. He was like, the bears shit in the woods, and then I was quiet for 45 minutes. Man, a lot of long edit. <laughs> it was a long edit for me. <laughs> we didn't talk about that at all. I, I had to take a week off of work. Still not released. I'm on minute, I'm on hour seven. <sighs> Just a lot of silence I'm taking out. Come back to Ethan going, do you get it? <laughs> <laughs> do you want to talk about 2005's? Big dick swinging, Richard talk loving. Wait, Richard, yeah, Richard talk. Yeah, Richard talk loving King Kong. Yeah, let's do it. I'm King Kong, got a hydrogen bomb. I can blow up your house so you better. All right. Peter, you are alternate. Taglines! I've got a few of them. So, first, our alternate tagline. You gotta brag, I only have one quick recap. <laughs> That'll take nine times the length of this. My, my first one is kind of like Heart of Darkness, but with a big fucking monkey. That's kind of more Kong Skull Islands. <laughs> have, you, have you seen that yet? <laughs> Literally. I have, I have, uh, and I'll, I'll we'll, we'll compare and contrast it a little bit because that's the closest corollary. I like it, I don't love it. Yeah, um, the, the, but I think that that movie and this movie are neck and neck on which one is better. Oh, uh, and then my second one is 
uh, Peter Jackson, more like Peter Jacks off to this hot monkey action. Please leave in all of this silence. <laughs> King Kong. You now more it. racist than the 1930s version. Really? You think that? <laughs> yeah, we'll get to it. Yeah, okay. Uh, King Kong. <laughs> King Kong 2005. To the tune of King Kong, but so much longer. <laughs> See, I thought I thought if they really wanted to spice this version up, they could have ended it with a little rendition of... <laughs> King Kong, the monkey's dead. Which old monkey? The giant monkey. King Kong. You're right. It could have ruined the best scene in the movie, the most heartfelt scene in the well, movie, here's, with a fun song parody. Hey, Peter, here's what you're not thinking of. As far as you know, the makers of the original King Kong would have wanted to end it that way. But here's the thing. Wizard of Oz comes out after King Kong. So it wasn't even an option. Peter mm. Jackson was not constrained by that temporal logic. The Peachster, he, he he doesn't even give a shit, you know? Not anymore. Not anymore. He gave a lot of he's shit a, in 2005. A, he is a broken man. <laughs> he is a broken man. I think the Hobbit movies might actually make his career be over. I think they ruined his brain. I think that being forced to do them just basically uh, made him resent all big budget filmmaking. I it, do not It's know. weird. We'll get into Peter I think Jackson. he's terrified of directing. I think he's terrified of directing now. I don't know. I don't know what happened, but I've only seen the first Hobbit movie. And I was just like, oh, okay. Yeah, no, I have no interest to continue. And I heard they got worse. Like, I heard the last one is the worst and that I may have watched the best one. I mean, it's rare, like, yeah, they're long movies, but for, like, one of my favorite directors from the 90s and, like, a series I really like. Like, I like the Lord of the Rings movie to just watch one and be done and have no interest. I mean, that's yeah. that's weird for me. Like, I know myself. I know my feelings. And I'm like... It's bizarre that I, I I not only thought that then, but continue to think that now. Yeah. Let's let's hold off. We're going to get into Peter Jackson. This really was a labor of love. We're going to get into that right after we do a quick recap of King Kong. Um, so it is uh, it is the it is it's kids King Kong. Like do you know the story of King Kong? It's uh, it's boat go to the island, take uh, take the girl and Darrow, strap her up. King Kong comes. Uh, it's my sacrifice. People that worship me. He goes back. They become friends. And meanwhile, all the dudes on the boat are like, save her from the monkey. And they get into some pretty, pretty crazy scrapes. Uh, and then Those at the guys. end, they yeah, in the end, they they get him. They get King Kong. They get and Daryl back. Then you're in New York. Oh, <laughs> Oh, 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 we got a giant monkey. Uh, the guy comes in. He's like, huh, how are we going to make a pizza pie bigger enough for that guy? Oh, oh, you're going to make a giant pizza pie. But they're up to the challenge. They're real New Yorkers. Yeah, they make him the biggest pizza pie. And then the government shoots him in the head. And then they won a world record movie over. Yeah. It's a banana pizza. Everyone goes home happy. Um, because if anyone has tough can do spirits. It's the people that survived 9-11. <laughs> Caused by Shane Black. Mm -hmm. Told you. Get into our canon, guys. It's a whole yeah. narrative we got going. Yeah. Um, get into our canon or you'll be offended. And get into our canon and maybe be more offended. Yeah. Does the offensiveness go down or up? Tune in to find out. Yeah. So then he goes to New York and uh, he's the eighth wonder of the world. And then he gets out. No chains could hold him. Lasted like a day. 
maybe, I don't know, mm-hmm. like an hour? Check those chains. I think, if anything, King Kong proves Jay-Z and Alicia Keys' point that you can make it here. You can make it anywhere. And King Kong booed off the stage to the point that he went to go kill the crowd. And what happens? He didn't make it here. So he doesn't get to make it anywhere because he was shot off the building. <laughs> that's what happens specifically in New York. Uh, that's why no uh, failing actors ever come home. Yeah. Is because they are shot in the head by the U.S. government um, for trying to leave the city. Yeah. They don't have canes to take you off the stage. They're like, climb that building. <laughs> good. A, oh, good uh, luck. Oh, <laughs> you got a ghoul. You're going to die. It's <laughs> turning to Christopher Walken. I don't know what's. We haven't done New York accents in a while. I feel like I'm losing it. Yeah. So 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 it's like so it's like the movie King Kong. Any of them. Yeah. It's like so the one thing you left out is that it takes 54 minutes to get to Skull Island. Yeah. We're oh, we're gonna get into that. So, uh, <laughs> and the other thing I left out is it ends with the famous line, "Twas beauty that killed the beast," which is a real like gaslighting bullshit ending. It's like. No, you did it, Jack Black. Like, you brought the monkey here, chained him up, and then when he tried to escape and meet the only person that was kind to him, because he was trampling buildings in a city, he got shot down. But, Jack Black, you need to take some ownership for this. Yeah. I, well, you put him into a – so, uh, we're going to get into this. Was it either Denham his only friend Jack- in the world or the guy that strapped him to a boat and took him away from everything he knew or loved? <laughs> Don't know. <laughs> So, I think, I think if we want to start there, uh, let's go back. This is one of Jack, I think this is one of Jack Black's best performances, and I think that uh, he nails that line. And yeah, uh, Car- he nails the both sides of Carl Denham, which is the bullshit artist, but the legitimate dreamer. And so, when Carl Denham says that, I think that it unlocks the character in a way because it's. Him basically being like, I need to find a context for the horrible exploitation that I've been pulling off this entire movie. So actually, can we can we can we pause on Jack Black? Because I say we get into the cast. I want to talk about Peter Jackson making this movie and Peter. Yeah, all the, I want to I want to get that, and then we'll drill down to the actual movie stuff itself. So uh, who is Peter Jackson? PDJ. Peter Jackson is a New Zealand filmmaker. Uh, who did some weird, fun, great uh, horror comedies uh, in his early career? Let me ask you a question. This this is what it was like for me, Peter. So when I really started to get the like horror over the top comedies, it was like my my two go tos were Evil Dead Two and Dead Alive. Dead Alive was an early love for me too. Dead Alive is one of the few movies that uh, is a first time filmmaker making something that I think truly lives on uh, outside of the context of the filmmaker. Second time. Um, he made a short movie before Bad no, Taste. No. But oh, no. Bad Taste was his first first one. Yes. Yeah. Bad Taste was his first feature-length yeah. movie, and it's pretty goddamn impressive. Uh, it's a special effects comedy. Very, very yeah. much like, like you said, Evil Dead 2. Um, it's a movie where gore and comedy and big special effects uh, set pieces are all smashed together with a uh, goofy self-aware B-movie plot. Very, very self-aware. Yeah. And uh, it's it's him being like, I'm making a movie within my means with all my friends and it actually came out really great. Yeah. That taste is awesome. Well, and then Dead Alive was the one that like I used to watch over and over and show, show to people, which was taking that to like a, a, a next level. 
Um, They're like brother movies, I think. Yeah. De- Bad Taste of Dead Alive should come packaged together. Weirdly, like, Dead Alive is a is canonically in the same world as this, as King Kong. Because, no. so, the monkey that spreads the zombie disease comes from Skull Island. And that monkey is seen in this movie. That's a crazy bit of trivia. And he's so he's been a lifelong fan of lifelong. King Kong. That's a yeah. great, that's a great thing to point out. So he made yeah he made Beat the Feebles, which is if you haven't seen it, it's just wonderful and chaos. And I wish it was available digitally. Um, it's sort of a wonder chosen thing. It's a it's a puppet comedy with a puppets doing drugs and fucking and stuff. It's 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 it's, a, it's, a, it's disgusting. Yeah, it's bizarre. Um, it uh, that he did Heavenly Creatures. Which is one of my favorite movies ever. Great, great movie. Is- that was like his, oh, you're great. Uh, and then he makes The Frighteners, which is a movie I love. And Universal's watching this guy and like, oh, Heavenly Creatures, The Frighteners. What do you want to do next? And he said, King Kong. They're like, great. He talks about how he, he originally was, uh, he, they had offered him the Creature of the Black Lagoon remake, which is very funny because we just talked about with that Del Toro. They, they want to dangle that movie in how, front of people. How, it's been 20 years. How has that movie never gotten made? But anyway, because they keep just giving it to anyone. No one wants to make the Creature of the Black Lagoon. So, so yeah, so he's like, oh, but I want to do King Kong. They're like, sure, go ahead and do it. They cast it. They get everything ready. He has been... Um, a lifelong fan of King Kong. It's his favorite movie, um, which I, I always think it's a little weird when, like, someone says they that, well, this is my favorite movie, so I want to make it again. Um, but I think in this case, it makes a little bit of sense because my my thesis for this movie is that he tried to make a 1930s King Kong movie with the technology of today. He did not try to make a 2005 movie that takes place in the 1930s, but he really tried to go, this is how this movie would work if they had more time to to put in the movie, more scenes, and a bigger budget, and the ability to do some of these uh, special effects. So that's kind of my thesis for the movie, and I think that kind of makes sense, because he was he really was trying to honor it and, like, fill out some parts, because King Kong, the original, was kind of notoriously over budget. They had to cut this very famous, like, spider scene, which uh, Peter Jackson and his team actually recreated in, like, black and white in the same style with stop motion, and they put it on the special edition release of King Kong. It's really, really cool. You can kind of watch it in context of the movie. It's very much a love letter to the original uh, movie, uh, and I think that that is both a boon and a bane to the movie in different ways. Yeah, so weirdly, so 1998, you're like, wait a second, Aaron and Peter. I'm pretty sure this movie came out in 2005, and you'd be right, because he, after, like, I don't know that much about this, and I didn't dig deeper, but apparently, like, Lord of the Rings and the rights... And Harvey Weinstein, surprisingly, I can't believe that guy turned out to be a jackass. Uh, it was a complete fucking mess. And, like, by the time New Line got the rights, it was kind of too late for him to do this because he was going to go spend, you know, eight years in New Zealand uh, with Elijah Wood and Rudy. So he gets done with that. Obviously, those movies are huge successes. And Universal approaches him again and says, you still want to do King Kong? And he goes, absolutely. He goes and makes... Uh, King Kong. This movie came out on Christmas. It did okay, but everyone expected this to be huge. You know, Peter Jackson right out of the Lord of right after Lord of the Rings, making a King Kong remake. Uh, and it just it kind of did like I think like two fifty domestic, which on a budget of at one eighty, isn't that great? 
And Which is insane because I saw the movie three times in theaters, I think. Yeah, so it should have done at least thirty-three bucks. Um, <laughs> and I think it I think it met that threshold pretty pretty clearly. But here's the other so so then it, it but it got great reviews. It has something like an eighty-five percent on Rotten Tomatoes. The strangest thing about this movie is that like six months later, everyone was like, movie sucks. Like, those same critics were using it as an example of, like, a bad movie, it felt like. Everyone who had, like, loved it when they saw it was talking about how much it sucks. And nowadays, if you see King Kong mentioned online, it's usually to to shit on it. So it's really weird. It, it, it felt like it went from a critically acclaimed audience-loved movie to a piece of garbage in, like, three months. It's a very weird thing because uh, I never – I was a fan of it and my esteem for it went down over the years because of that gradual just like everybody saying it sucks and yeah. me not revisiting it in 13 years. That's a terrifying number. 13 years. Um, yeah. But hey, I, I'm going to throw out it. something, Peter. I think we might be dead soon. I, you know what? Frankly, that would be the blessing in disguise to getting older. Um, so <laughs> – Oh, you I think don't I, like – you don't like – uh, the most painful thing that you can do to yourself is sleep. You just wake up and shit hurts for no reason. Like, I don't know. I guess I hurt my back <laughs> sleeping. I was just sleeping. Now my ankle hurts. I don't know why, but I must have slept weird. I used to sleep in garbage dumps, curled up in a ball after a night of drinking, and wake up and go work 12 hours. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah uh i just got my first two-day hangover and uh yeah. it was the all worst downhill thing that's ever happened to me it's all downhill from there um so uh i loved the movie at the time over the years i think some of the luster came off because people hating it and jumping back into it i'm like all of my complaints are nerd movie complaints i have other than the length which we'll get into it's the biggest thing to wrangle with in this movie i don't know why anybody who is in a mainstream audience wouldn't adore this movie. I don't even adore this movie, but I don't know why. I, it's got everything for an audience. It's got really fun comedy. It's got great special effects that have uh, aged pretty well. Uh, hey! It's got, it's got uh, some really, it's got a really cool love story at its center yeah. that's like developed in a way that is non-traditional to the usual means of them developing these movies because they can't just have like them kiss on accident and be like oh I don't want to they can't get angry like, there's a scene where they get angry at each other hey you just called it a monkey boy um and it's beautiful it's shot really really well like it, it, it as the years have gone on some of the luster came off of it and watching it again I like I understood the magic of it, it again because it's imbued with this like auteur's love of the stuff that made him who he was let me let me throw out a theory why it happened you mentioned the length i think the it's length is three a hours little, eight minutes three hours eight minutes and there's a director's cut that's like four hours yeah i've not seen the director's cut. it's not the length it's the pacing and why he did the length because those last 40 minutes the last act of this movie which we're, we're, I'm, I'm sure we're going to talk a lot of sugar about is great like the pacing's it's the right. Movie. It's it's and so you walk out of the theater and you're on this high because you just watched the best part of the movie. What it decides to focus on is very inconsistent. Like the 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 island scenes, too much too many scenes go on too long, uh too many scenes uh are too short. 
And then there's also like big missing chunks that would have been interesting to see that he spends no time on and fast forwards to. And then there's other stuff that he spends like an excruciating amount of time on. And that the part that he spends the most time on is the first hour of the movie where Jack Black is a film producer who's about to get fired and he steals his canister and he ropes Andero into uh, – who's who's a down-on-her-luck actress uh, played by Naomi Watts into coming on the boat. And then there's all the drama of escaping the movie studio. And then Adrian Broder's the right Adrian Brody's the writer who's stuck on the boat and keeping him happy. And then the meat cutes and then all the, the drama on the boats because the captain finds out. Like this is all stuff that he did to kind of fill out these characters because these characters were pretty two-dimensional in the first one. But in a lot of monster movies, you don't need this well-rounded of a characters. So I think upon – and on top of that, none of this stuff ends up fucking mattering. Like they, he spends way too much time – Investing in like Jack Black's, is the studio going to get him? Is he not? Is he going to get on the boat? Is he going to get to Skull Island? Which dramatically doesn't really work if if you've seen the movie already. And I think that's the big problem. I think the big problem is that that hour before the movie really works the first time you're seeing it because you are so – it's tension building. You're like, oh my god, like – we're going to see these dinosaurs and it's King Kong and it's Peter Jackson. It's right after his special effects, amazing bonanza in the Lord of the Rings movies. And it builds up anticipation. You are getting excited to, to see it. And, and the longer he keeps that away from you, the more your ante- anticipation builds. Then, of course, you leave the movie with this amazing high point of this great New York scene. And... If you're watching it again, though, you put it on like I did when I got the DVD and you're like, oh, this is interminable. Like, none of this matters and I don't care about any of this. Uh, Yeah. Why am I watching this? Yeah. But I think that's the I think that's why this movie I did. I uh, was very apprehensive to watch this movie. And lo and behold, I liked it more than you. Well, I just think that the first hour, while a lot of good acting and a lot of that stuff, it it just – it's a bunch of shit that doesn't matter and it's not interesting enough in its own right. And on top of that – I mean, it does some good things. One thing I think it does that that's amazing is Naomi Watts and Adrian Brody are supposed to have chemistry and I don't think they have any fucking chemistry, which I think actually works in the movie's favor because once she meets the monkey <laughs> and has a shit ton of chemistry, there's actually like a – oh, yeah – it it actually works as a contrasting to like this person that are just uh, that are just like oh we're two attractive people and we like each other and then like oh wait this is real this is real chemistry like these two these two people one these one people one ape they love each other I mostly agree with you in the broad strokes uh, I think the problem isn't its length. It's its density, which is something yeah. I think you would agree with. Yeah. It's that they give uh, a little bit of space to every character. I think that if you were to pick, if I were to pick one character isolate, it wouldn't be Carl Denham at all. Because uh, I'm going to talk some sugar about Carl Denham. Oh, and me Jack too. Because I think this is one, best of, performance I think one of Jack Black's movie. best performance. Yeah. Next to like Bernie and a couple others, I think like this is like one of his best. I'm not going uh, to vote for pick- Bernie. I saw what happened last time. I'm going to go. With <laughs> so, I, can you guess which character I'm going to outline as the most superfluous? Why are you in the movie? Adrian isn't Brody. Even in the third, isn't even in the third act? Adrian Brody? No. 
Jimmy. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean that's beyond superfluous. That's I don't even know what that is. Jimmy and his like mentor. I forgot about them in this movie, and I couldn't believe how much time they gave to him. It's nonsense. I don't. It's beyond superfluous. And it's not Jamie Bell's fault. Jamie Bell is trying to be charming and shit. But, like, this was a role, clearly, that, like, they gave Jamie Bell so much room to work with because he was, like, this young actor that was game to the task and the script called for it. But, like, why did the script call for it? All he is is one member of the crew. This is the fatal flaw of the movie, I think, if it has one. And that's that it focuses too much on sideline characters that ultimately don't matter to the A plot and ultimately don't inform the journey on the island either. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, I think – honestly, though, I think Adrian Brody falls into that. I think Kyle Kyle Chandler is funnier. Uh, that role is, is more suited to, I think, what the movie's going for. Like, you don't need competition, love interest in King Kong. I know it was in the original. I know that's what he's making. But I love this idea of this bumbling – not even trying to be a hero Hollywood lead actor um, who somehow kind of becomes a hero, but there's not a romantic tension. I just I think Adrian Brody's not great in this movie. I think his chemistry with Naomi Watts is non-existent. And and at some point, he just kind of becomes like background at the end. Like when when he's re- reunited with Naomi Watts on the top of the building, the end of it, like you don't feel like two lovers got back together because – Naomi Watts, after she, like, meets King Kong, kind of loses interest in him. And he's, like, I don't know. Like, I, I, I'm i not sure if the movie's supposed to be positing that those two are kind of in love with each other still. But there's, like, there's nothing on screen that indicates so I that. So, I, th- I think that the movie it's doing, the first half is naive infatuation. Yeah. They should have collapsed the Kyle Chandler character and the Adrian Brody character together. Yeah. And made one preening douche that's pursuing her and trying to save her and trying to win her heart, but he can never compete with the monkey. And then the third act, we see him like realize that he just needs to help true love exist. Yeah. As opposed to Adrian Brody constantly competing with Naomi Watts and us going... But we don't want him to win. We want her to be happy with Kong. Kong and her, you want it to work out or the movie doesn't work. You have to want them to succeed. That's the conflict I think of more the first movie, the the original 1930s movie, where like you kind of feel like Kong should get murdered. In this, I'm like, no, Kong should never have been here. It's a true tragedy he was yeah. here. Like, whereas in the original one, it's sort of a Godzilla movie almost where you're like, you're like, oh, it's our fault. Godzilla needs to go down. He's like the hero on the island because he's like the most interesting besides just plain old dinosaurs in the original. But he's absolutely like there's no and Darrow isn't isn't in love with King. There's no relationship besides a terrified person. And that was one thing that Peter Jackson like did. He obviously he fell in love with King Kong and changed their relationship dramatically. And that's that's very specific to this version of the movie. And I and that's the best part of this movie. But you're right. I, I think they should have been folded into the Kyle Chandler character. And I think it should have been played by Kyle Chandler and leaning more into what he is embodying in the uh, clueless uh, preening um Hollywood star of the 30s. Like, that works so good. He's so funny in it. He's so bumbling. I love the scene where they ask him, like, hey, aren't you supposed to be a hero? He goes, hey, I'm an actor. <laughs> like, he, yeah. has, he has no pretension about himself. He knows exactly who he is, and he's not 
happy about the situation that he's been in, but he but he takes it with that almost like Bruce Campbellian uh, stride. Uh, I love that. I love I love him too. I think that if they had rounded out his character more and completely gotten rid of Adrian Brody. It could have worked better, especially there could you could have felt a little bit of sense of loss and a guy realizing that his love was lost to him at the top of second act. So that at the bottom of the second act, when Kong gets captured and it's this sad scene of Anne being like, let go of me. And she's like pulling herself away from Jack and Jack is like, they're they're going to capture him and, you know, maybe kill him. We got to go like that's the plan. And and he's like trying to pull her away. And she's like, let go of me. And then she says, it's me she wants. So she's saying like, leave me here with him. Or, you know, at least leave me here with him for a time. I can calm him down. He just wants me. I can save all of your lives while also doing what I want to do. And Jack pulling her away. At the top of the second act, what they should have had was Jack realizing that this girl was lost to him. And that their infatuation is over. Yeah, because he kind of seems – he's supposed to be the hero of this movie in some light. Like, and he's not – he's like, he's like, you're an idiot and get away. And then at the end, they're – you know, Naomi Watts is sad that they've done this to King Kong. So sad. You almost get the sense that, like, she doesn't want anything to do with anyone that she met. And that's why she's, like, separated from Adrian Brody. And then Adrian Brody, like, wrote a play – obsessing about her and then leaves his own play to go find her suddenly in the of course on the on the night that king kong escapes um and you know it's it's like he just kind of becomes this like dude you guys had like a good date and (laughs) she moved on yeah uh and you are i don't know and then he's essentially he he finds her at the he sees her. I don't think he finds her. He just sees her in the car, right? And then she goes off with King Kong in New York to go that wonderful ice skating scene. And then after King Kong dies, like she's crying in his arm, and that's like it. Yeah. So yeah, that I that. Why couldn't she have a moment with Kong at the end, holding his big paw? And yeah. Then Denim says his line, and then the movie is over because who gives a fuck? About- Poor Adrian Brody, and I don't mean the character. The character Jack is like whatever. Um, poor Adrian Brody. He like basically has had two great performances in his career, and we've all been rooting for him since then. But he just keeps like ending up in roles that don't benefit him, yeah. or like not being given chances. He's the and- he's the Cuba Gooding Jr. of like lead yes. actor Oscar winners. Uh, there are two set two roles that I think. Uh, Adrian Bertier is is kind of known for among film people is obviously The Pianist, where he was amazing. Like, can't take that away from him. No, and you can try, but why would you? Yeah, and then also the Ryan Johnson movie, the brothers, uh, not Grimsby. brothers Grimsby. <laughs> Bloom. Brothers Bloom. Brothers Grimsby fucked me up. Um he is he's so tremendous in that in those two and then he's been he's had a couple small roles here and there you know he's in some Wes Anderson movies that that, that he's charming in he's really he's one of the best parts of Darjeeling Limited which is a yeah. good thing to say um but he, he in this he also gets a movie where it's like the movie got taken out from underneath him and the script and him don't seem to realize that yeah yeah i mean you look at this like you know he wins the oscar he does The Village, boo. He does like the worst ver- the the worst version of The Machinist called The Jacket. 
uh, came out at the same time. Yeah. It's sort of that or uh, Jacob's Ladder. Yeah. It's, it's like a movie that doesn't need to exist because there's yeah. enough movies like it that are better. He does Hollywood Land, which is okay, but everyone remembers Ben Affleck playing George Reeves, not Adrian Brody as whatever he played in that movie. And then, like, I liked Splice. I didn't. I Predators is fine. No one thinks about him. Predators is a fun movie, and uh, Topher Grace is the surprising term, yeah. I think. Yeah, agreed. And then he does, like, inappropriate comedy. <laughs> Not a movie. And, like, look at look, look at this. This is 2000. This is the last three years. Manhattan Night. You know that one? No. Okay. Uh, Bullethead. Doesn't even have a poster on his Wikipedia entry. Doesn't even have a title. Yeah, Bullethead. <laughs> and then Emperor, which uh, is New coming roof? out in 2018. He plays Charles V, Holy Roman Emperor. So he's probably the star. Doesn't even have a fucking link on Wikipedia. Comes out. It's in post production. So that's not he good. has he has made his last movie that like you anyone has heard of was the Grand Budapest Hotel. That was four years ago, and then Inappropriate Comedy was five years ago, and before that his cameo in Midnight in Paris, which is now seven years ago. Like, well, you forgot when he did that that char- that method actor move where he was on SNL. Yeah, the, played, I, that uh, hurt Jamaican man. I think that hurt him. <laughs> Uh, I hope it hurt. <laughs> I hope that's what we can blame it on. So he can look back at his career and be like, maybe I shouldn't have done a racist caricature on SNL that nobody told me to do. To be fair, the name of the character was Rastaman. <laughs> oh, nice. So he's basically a, a uh, racist Halloween costume. Yeah. And then he gets kicked off Saturday Night Live forever. And then he does those weird Diet Coke. I think they were Diet Coke commercials where he just walks around looking that people are coming up and trying to talk to him. Like, he made some choices that made no sense. Like, what What do you think you were doing, Adrian Brody? You were, you were like the eighth named lead in Angels in the Outfield praying for your break. You win the fucking Oscars 10 years later, and then you're like, how about if I do say a bunch of racist shit and act like a dick in a Diet Coke commercial? <laughs> it's going to be good for my brand. Also, wasn't he the guy who uh, told everyone that he was the lead of – told everyone in his family is the lead of uh, Thin Red Line? Because that's basically what he was led to believe. Yeah, that was him. Yeah, him. And then the movie got recut and he got five minutes. Yeah, a lot of people were pissed about the Clooney was furious. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, a lot of people were – but it's a great movie and uh, you know what? Obviously, Malik had some ideas. Yeah. And uh, – but that that was shitty for a lot of people because that's also like that's for that's Malik's first movie in twenty years. He's coming back, and you're the lead in Terrence Malick's new movie. Yeah, and you go to the red carpet. You're like, I'm not. Where am I? So that's all all the sympathy we have for Adrian Brody. Let's move on because just like just like in that movie, he got sidelined. Let's sideline him for let's, the podcast. Let's never talk about him again, even if he's in a movie we're doing. Uh, yeah. So let's. So the pianist. Uh, <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, that would be a fun month. Uh, whatever month that. Because either way, here's here's why that month is just a just a shit. Just a pile of shit for, like, trying to do a podcast on no matter what we do. Because either Holocaust movie month, a lot of great Holocaust movies, not a fun month on We Love to Watch, I don't think. Uh, Two goofballs, yeah. get into it. Oh, what, if, what if a New York guy uh, ended up in the Holocaust? Is not a fun, <laughs> not fun for anyone. We wouldn't do it. It's like, don't, don't do that. Um, Let's or, Holocaust movie. Or it's Roman Polanski movies, also not interested. 
Yeah, we've done one and we got it all out. That is uh that is it. Maybe Rosemary's baby someday. But that is going to be it for that. So yeah, so let's never talk about him again. That's canon, that's in our podcast. We're never talking about Adrian Brody again. If we need to refer to him, we say A B. And if people get suspicious that we're actually referring to Adrian Brody, we say C right after oh. <laughs> everyone knows what we're saying. Go a baby. I mean that that may be smarter, but we've committed to something else at this point. Duck your head, hide in corners. Someone here just say A B. You go you go A B C D E <laughs> F G <laughs> H I. <laughs> I know the whole thing. I can keep going. Um so let's talk about let's talk about Naomi Watts, who I also feel like this what mo- are you talking about? She's great in this movie. She is wonderful. She's wonderful in everything. I feel like she got a... I think this movie really hurt her career. Because, like, this... Which sucks. Because you you she, she gives an amazing performance. This should have, like, catapulted her to, like, forever superstardom. Because it feels like this is, like, her big move right after the one-two punch of, like, Mulholland Drive. There's your indie movie. Amazing performance with an auteur, yeah. like you're getting like you're getting like an independent spirit award kind of notice, like that kind of thing. Yeah, and then she gets to do the ring, which now you got mainstream, but it's like in a genre that people doesn't get a lot of recognition. But you know, movie's a huge hit. She's the lead in it. Um, it makes you it makes her almost a household name at that. Yeah, point. you're you're like you're like next move from that is like you're in like Julia Roberts level. Maybe not. Maybe that's. Maybe that's a unique level, but, like, you're in, like, Catherine Zeta-Jones or some of these other people, like, in the – like, that that had that for a little bit where you're just, like, you're you're literally a named actor and you put your name on the poster and people want to see it because they love Naomi Watts. <clears throat> like, mainstream, average Joe moviegoer. And then, like, this is that next step. This is, like, it's big budget. She is she is clearly like the lead lead in a very uh, tough performance where she literally has to play against a uh, giant uh, ape who she ends up caring for and like building this chemistry without words. Uh, and she nails it, knocks it out of the park. And then, like, like we said, everyone hated this movie three months later. And then I feel like so th- then I feel like she does go on to, you know, be in a bunch of great movies and she's still an amazing actress. She's now like third build in a thirty million dollar budget movie. She's not, she's not doing hundred million dollar pictures anymore, and she's not a name on the poster. Some of that is the sexism of Hollywood. Oh yeah, uh, she is a woman over forty. She got blocked out because they were like, she's a woman over forty that doesn't make money. Yeah, so she's in Book of Henry, Allegiant, Chuck. Uh, she was in that fucking, I mean, like, she had a couple shots where, like, movies could have been huge. Like, um, St. Vincent, if it were better, would have been huge. The Impossible and J. Edgar would have been huge. Yeah, and she's, I mean, uh, and then there's a ton of stuff that she's really good in. Like, she's great in, what's that, um, what's that Doug Lehman movie? Doug Lyman, however you say his name. The International? I mean, no. The one where she plays Valerie Plain. Oh, that's a Tom Tickler movie. Where she plays Va- uh, Fair Game. Yeah, I haven't seen that one. Oh, so she plays Valerie Plame. She's great. It's really good. <laughs> this movie's called Fair, okay. Fair Game. It's not called Valerie Plame. Okay. It's not the December song. Fair Game Plame. Uh, yeah, could you look? It goes, yeah, it's it's King Kong. And then the Painted Veil, which was like a shot. Is that Norton in there with her? Yeah. That was like, a, and then Eastern Promises. And funny, she's so good in funny games. I know you don't like that movie, but she's very good. And then Fair Game, and then it's just kind of. 
Yeah, she's in movie but 43, which is like the other inappropriate comedy. Like, clearly she didn't keep in touch with Adrian Brody because one of them should have warned them off the other one. Oh, my God. Yeah, because uh, she was working with a lot of filmmakers that either had made or were about to make um, big movies. Yeah. Uh, none of them panned out. And so I think that's why in the past five-ish years, like, she really has not gotten... Yeah, because you look at really it like that... Not that four years, it's it's Mulholland Drive, it's The Ring, it's Ned Kelly, it's 21 Grams, it's The Assassination of Richard Nixon, it's I, I Heart Huckabee's The Ring 2, Stay, uh, the Mark Foster movie, and King Kong. Now, some of those movies are not very good. But all of them were like high level releases, either in the indie scene or like mainstream cinema. And then after yeah. that, you just kind of have these like either movies that that are kind of like indie curiosos, like Fair Game and Funny Games, or just like huge bombs, like Movie Forty Three or J Edgar or you know The International or stuff like that. Like it, she she was operating at a pretty pretty high level in the film part and and I, I I think it definitely has something to do with this movie which is just complete bullshit because she's so good I would say King Kong is probably actually the best performance in this movie Andy Serkis uh, you know a mocap performance that's something to note is they're both doing an amazing job but they weren't really acting against no. each other in many of the shots because um, there were some shots that they let them act against each other where they did like some mocap that was unrelated and they're kind of standing staring at each other and she got to kind of obviously Eddie Circus is much smaller than Kong. I would love it for those scenes though if he wore giant hands like a Michelle Gondry <laughs> like the science of sleep hands and it's like yes. stroking her face. But, but uh, largely they were acting on their own uh, or against you know somebody reading lines to them or reading yeah. script direction. They're acting on their own and that's amazing that they seem so in tune because Andy Circus is a the most famous mocap uh, artist. He started his own studio for the art. Yeah, he's, like Go the, he's Gollum. You know Gollum. He's Gollum. He's, he's, Go he's, he's fucking Caesar Gollum for the Planet of the or the Planet of the Apes movies. Yeah, he's obviously fucking Gollum, which he's was fucking like a, Gollum. A, Gollum was the first thing that people were like, yeah, that's new. Like that was the one where people are like. We need to have an Academy Award for mocap performances, and it's like, well, who would you nominate? Just him for this yeah, movie, but like, we, give him we need to give Oscars until he dies. <laughs> yeah, it's like we need to give him something for this, right? Yeah, um, it's like what was the what was the voice performance that got that same thing? Like, oh, uh, Scarlett Johansson from her, where everyone was like, okay, but like, we need to give her something for like, we need a new Academy Award. Uh, category just to give her a nomination for it and then let her win. Yeah. And it, it, so I – and uh, Andy Serkis, uh, my favorite performance of him, probably a lot of people, is um, Caesar in yeah. the new Planet of the Apes movies. Uh, there's a lot of physicality of what apes move like, how apes show kindness or, you know, pity, compassion, some sort of softness, I should say, uh, and how ape, apes show uh, – fear how apes like sort of play that he just like modeled he just like went and watched apes hung out with apes like figured out their motions and then wore a mocap suit and then some of the most brilliant animators in the world came in and were like all right you've got your bones like let's make this let's make this textured properly it's it's honestly like you can't say enough nice things about Andy Serkis it's a weird way to movies. get typecast though he's probably the only <laughs> 
person like him and roddy mcdowell i think could have shared some stories like oh yeah oh God, you get yeah. stuck being an ape yep me too <laughs> how did that happen <laughs> roddy mcdowell's ape is like uh he's, I, just, you a know, Brit- I, he's just a british ape and they're like I oh sit makeup for a long time and uh, you know i stood i stood mostly upright but not all the way yeah that's uh, just, sometimes i would like, kind of lean in and have like a leering look like an ape trying to figure stuff out <laughs> and any circus like i lived with monkeys for a year <laughs> Roddy. Andy Circus is like, I don't lay in a stretching module so I can yeah. straighten my back after being hunched for nine months. <laughs> the person who introduced them at a party is one of those things where it's like, I really thought you two would get along. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and then Roddy McDowell, who is like all accounts a nice guy, has to go into his like, well, before you had all your computers, and then everyone's like, okay. <laughs> like, ape off! Ape off, ape off. Yeah, they both. And the only way you can end an ape off is that uh, they fling shit at each other. Yeah, no. Who's Who's Andy Circus's apprentice? Like Toby, whatever. Toby Kebble. I don't know. Tony Kebble. And then the only way to end the fight is Tony Kebble just like marches in and like barks at both of them. That's a reference I get because you explained it beforehand. <laughs> uh, hey, remember when Andy Circus is gonna? Make that Jungle Book movie, though? What are the odds he plays uh, King Louis? 100%? That'd be amazing if that was his way of handing it off to his his protégés at his, his uh, bo-cap acting school. As he was just like, now you're... <laughs> you once were a man, and now you're a monkey. And then they all get, like, pumped. Like, start flinging shit at each other. <laughs> do, you, do you think there is a moment in Andy Serkis' life where he has thrown down a clipboard or a bunch of papers in disgust? And said, no! You purse your lips like this! <laughs> and he's like moving his lip up. I'm, I don't know why I'm acting it out. No one can see it. But he's doing that thing that the monkeys do when they're like talking. Like, look like they're going to give a kiss, but they're probably doing something a little bit more evolutionary distinct. And then finally they all laugh. And it's all over. And then Andy Serkis and Roddy McDowell are friends. Probably Roddy's unfortunate dad. I don't know when he died. And then Rod- <laughs> Roddy McDowell like 95. And Andy Serkis rip off their own genitals and throw them at each other. And then the song The Circle of Life plays for some reason. So let's talk about uh, the last performance of this movie that I think is worth a uh, note. And then let's get into some uh, – we're obviously not going to get through this entire movie, but I, I'm sure we both have some scenes we want to talk about. So let's talk about Jack Black. Jack Black plays Carl Denham. And one of the amazing things about this performance is that Jack Black throws away almost every one of his mannerisms that he's built up from the previous year. He he plays not one. He, he doesn't do that, like, raised eyebrow. He doesn't like, play one humor rock song the entire movie. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't do any yeah he doesn't do any like air guitar like <laughs> you see that monkey kyle <laughs> yeah <laughs> carl denham is one of the best parts of this movie i think that it is uh easy for a lot of people that hate jack black i've seen a lot of people that say they hate jack black and i wonder if they've seen a jack black performance i feel like they've seen years. yeah i think they saw shallow hal and we're like, never changing my opinion, no matter what movie I see. Which is fair. Yeah. Shallow Hell is terrible. And it is. he's a muggy guy. Like, that's always the problem with the Jim Carrey's and the Jack Black's the world. Those 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 uh those people that or Robin Williams. Like those people that always feel like they are like desperate to get a laugh. And Jack Black in some of his roles kind of when when there wasn't enough meat there, he became there. But he he's not like that all the time in the way that some of those other people are. 
I completely agree. Um, and I think that he wisely, in, in a lot of his movies, in the past 10 to 15 years, he has wisely thrown away a lot of those mannerisms. And you're right. If he doesn't have anything to work with, he th- he goes back on those mannerisms, yeah. like in Gulliver's Travels and shit, like the movies that just have give him nothing. Yeah. And so I don't think we can blame him. I think no. he's like, when he does that, those, those hammy mannerisms, it's because that's all he has in the book. When they give him nothing, yeah, like he he shouldn't be expected to do fucking improv on every movie. Like that's insane. Yeah, and as opposed to my other examples, that I feel like they get the same type of hate. If that makes sense, like like the the reason that people hate Jim Carrey is the same reason that people hate Jack Black, in my opinion. Now, you you may like Jim Carrey and, and hate Jack Black and vice versa, but like that instinct to look at that and go. Oh, you are just frustrating to me is like it's the same thing they're they're doing. Why I think that's more fair for the Robin Williams and Jim Carrey's of the world is that they get meaty scripts and still you can tell if they don't have the right director who's like tone it down like a thousand notches. They're still there with like good material like mugging and shaking and going back on smoking and and stuff like that. Like they need to be almost like extremely reined in and given good material. And I've never felt that way about Jack Black. It's just like you give him nothing. He's going to do some weird hand stuff and kind of, kind of use his physical comedy aspects in a way that, um, that gets laughs when the script is. And I think in this movie, he is given a lot of dramatic heft. I think Peter Jackson identifies with Jack Black's character, this um, bullshitter in pursuit pursuit of a dream. Um, I don't want to blow the lid off anything, but like a lot of times when you're like in a client facing role, a salesman, like you work at a front desk of something, like anytime you're actually facing customers, clients, what have you, there is some level of bullshit involved. And like a lot of negotiation is just bullshit. And like a lot of like just getting the job done for a lot of jobs is is bullshit. And I think Peter Jackson identifies with that aspect of him where he's yeah. like, I will do anything to get this movie done. And Peter Jackson is also somebody who has to ask people to do crazy amount of, of work also identifies with the uh, exploiter. He like Peter Jackson is very self-consciously, I think, in this movie, asking himself, am I exploiting the people that work tirelessly for me under my my spell to, uh, you know, I say, like, I don't know that I don't buy that fur. And then people spend three weeks working overtime to make sure that the fur patch in one scene and one animal looks amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, exactly. And Jack Black modeled him after Orson Welles, who wasn't, you know, obviously not present in a 1933 movie when Citizen Kane doesn't come out till the 40s. Um, so it, it kind of, it works really well. And, and that's why even though I get frustrated at the first hour, it's very watchable because Jack Black is compelling. Even it doesn't add up to much or like it's almost like too much background. Like you don't need to spend an hour convincing me that Jack Black's character is someone who exploits people and and cares about his friends but cares about the work and the art more than anything when you're also going to do that for the next hour like when you're on the island with more stakes like they just it just it's too much it's it's too much background that you don't actually need like maybe you just need the scene of him escaping with the reels at the beginning and then you're good like, oh, yeah, the movie could open with him escaping with the reels, telling everything to Colin Hanks. Colin Hanks could function in the movie as he does 
mostly as a um, a receiver to Jack Black, uh, his orders, his uh, his machinations, like his trusted colleague. Um, I do like that the beginning of the movie stretches out the first act a little bit because we get to know both Anne and Carl Denham better because I think they're both super important to the third act. Yeah. But the extra time with Jack is pretty much useless. There's a funny moment when Adrian Brody and uh, Jack Black, both performing well, I think, Carl Denham is trying to get uh, Jack to stay on the boat, to trick him into staying on the boat long enough that the boat can pull out of harbor. Yeah. Um, and it's like a pretty funny scene of, of Jack Black getting to do some like physical comedy where he's just like, oh, sorry, I put the wrong date in on this check. Like this whole exchange and uh, and but on repeat viewings, you're like, but I want Adrian Bodie to get off the boat. The movie would be better if Adrian Brody missed this boat. Yeah. You're not making a movie anyways. We know what's going to happen in the third act. You're not making a movie anyways. Yeah, I I agree. Yeah. It's fun because Jack Black is there as Carl Denham performing this amazing sort of uh, feat of both doing a funny character, but not a clown. He's he's somebody with dreams and ambitions that he's driving the movie, and yet he's also... Yeah, I mean, even the... Yeah, I agree. He's good throughout, even the scenes that are... Like I said, he's very compelling in the first hour. He's he's great. It's just that it just... It doesn't serve the overall movie well. It takes 54 minutes to get to the fucking island because of that. So, and then I think he's not served well by an understandable insistence to keep the final line in, but a final line that doesn't work anymore in the movie that you've made. So it rings really, he delivers it well, but it rings so, so fucking hollow. It's like, no, not this. I think it works. I don't think it, I don't think it does only because, you know, the the first one, the, the original really is like. Yeah, how else are people going to see this monkey? And it's, we got to bring him. And there's, you know, there wasn't any, give, who gave a shit about animal cruelty? You bring the monkey, you put him in a zoo, you lock him in chains, people get to people see still him. People still don't. That's entertainment, you know? Like, because you're not thinking that it's even an option to leave him on the island. And no one's like, hey, you should leave him on the island. He's a nice guy with things going on. It's... It's it is beauty that killed the beast because he's chasing Andero, who is literally a damsel in distress, and uh, he he broke out to steal her, and that caused his death. That is not what happened at all in this one. <laughs> like he is a he is a sad creature that the movie makes very clear should never have been taken from his home, and you can tell like the, the one of the great things that Peter Jackson does to drive that point home is in that Carl Denham showing him off in New York scene, which is, you know, in the in the original, King Kong is sitting there by himself, like, looking ferocious, arms, like, bicep, biceps up, pose, growling at everyone. And in this one, he's just dejected and sitting in the chains and, like, you can't help but feel enormously sorry for him and only gets into that pose at, like, when the cranks go up and his arms are forced into that position and he still is hunched over and just looks like a like an animal who's been abused. The movie is very clear, especially in Carl Denham's sadness as the movie goes on. He is uh, an exploiter and he doesn't realize that until about halfway through the third act. He really? realizes it during the breakout and he realizes that he's an exploiter. And what he's saying to us, beauty killed the beast. I think he's saying a few things. He could be interpreted in a few things. I think it's a great final line for this reason, and it has nothing to do with the original. Okay. I think in a literal sense, he's saying that, and it's true, 
that his insistence on hanging out with Anne and not just being this rampaging monster uh, and him trying to protect her uh, helped get him killed. I think that his if it weren't for Anne, he would have just kept rampaging, kept killing, and then she like slowed him down and gave him some like sense of compassion for people, and huh. then like he's just defending himself on the Empire State Building. I think see, it works in a very very literal, boring kind of way. See, what's so funny is that even in the even in the different context, if I was to propose a different context, I would say that it was seeing that Anne wasn't Anne caused him to escape. So it's like, oh, if you didn't care that much about Anne, you would have sat there a broken monkey on my stage. Which still – but that still reading. feels really mean. That's one reading. That's yeah, one but it fair. still feels mean. Like it does – I'm, I'm a little hesitant to get on board the – at any point Carl Denham – like I think he's pissed his show is lost. And obviously he doesn't want people to die, let alone paying patrons. But I, just, I don't think he has enough stuff to do in the third act to get any sense that he's like – has a what have I done moment. I think he has a few shots and they're easy to forget because the movie is roughly 19 hours long. He has a few shots of pure lamentation. He's not panicking about losing his chance at a career. He, he's, he's sitting staring at the chains being like, oh my God, I brought a monster to New York. I, what was I doing? My ambitions were so big that I actually, you know, instead of letting my own career die or pivoting or doing something else, I actually like let my own ambitions destroy the, you know, by some people's accounts, the greatest city on the earth. At least in the 1930s, I think a lot of people would have said that. Even in the 1930s, if you could make it there. You could make it anywhere. You could make it anywhere. Although anywhere else was like dust farmer in Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I suppose that's true. I mean, if you, yeah. can, you can, if you can run a shoe shop in Manhattan, you could probably farm dust. Yeah, yeah. Dust is a valuable commodity among the it's dust great, eaters. It's Great Depression, you know? Um, the dust, dust bunnies, bowl. they'll love it. Um, oh, man. And then another way that I read the ending was that he's admitting what I just said. He's admitting that his ambitions, he's saying, "'Twas beauty killed the beast." His, his hunt for art destroyed something beautiful, something noble, and something <laughs> truly unique. To be recognized and to create something um, exploited something to the point of death. So in your second reading, he's referring to himself as beauty. Yes, <laughs> he's like "Twas beauty, me Jack Black slash Carl Denham, who has killed the beast." The, the idea of uh, that he was pursuing art, the idea of him chasing this like uh, the beauty of art and creation and being recognized through that helped kill it. I think that that is a rec- I think that is one way you could read the line. I, I don't think it's a. I don't think it's like one of the all time greatest screen lines. I think that it's like a really fun line because, based on the information that you're provided on Carl Denham's arc throughout the third the third third act, you are allowed to interpret it multiple ways. Peter, it's a little bit of a stretch, but. We are talking about King Kong, which is a movie that took a really good thing and stretched it out maybe a little too far. So I'm going to give you all the points. Thank you. Um, let's talk about the second act. Yeah, uh, that, yeah, we have not gotten there yet. And it contains some of my favorite moments and my least favorite moments. I think this is a really, a really important part to talk about. So so let me, let, me, let me kick off real quick. Yeah, you kick it off. And then I'll kick it back, play a little game of the old <laughs> football, but British football. The old normal conversation. <laughs> um, that it's a love letter to King Kong, the original. Yep. 
Um, but I think it doesn't justify its excess. Correct. It treats the original as a sacred text. So he says, like, you know, I really want to know more about this Bigger. Yes. He's doing it almost like a fundamentalist Christian. Bigger. He's like, I really need to sit on this moment. And you're like, maybe Bill just ate an apple in the year four, okay? Maybe maybe the apple didn't have anything to do with the fucking Garden of Eden. Maybe, like, there's a, I think he takes it and treats it as this sacred text that needs to be blown up. So, yeah, like we we mentioned, Jimmy and Bigger. Jimmy gets blown up. John Lasseter was in this? John Lasseter was in This is my other favorite callback is John Lasseter is the Bigger. But I think that it, it, yes, it treats it as a sacred text, which is uh, creates a lot of beauty in it. He loves the movie. He wants to sort of take the original themes and blow them up, or maybe flip them around for a modern audience. But I also think that he, um, in trying to be a fundamentalist about the script, kills some of it. There's so many great sequences. I love that he does like the the 1920s version of dinosaurs. So like. Tyrannosaurus rexes have the wrong amount of fingers and brontosauruses, a dinosaur that doesn't exist, is in there. Like, that's part of my whole thesis of, like, he is trying to make, like, a version of this movie that they would have made back then. Like, he is like, I'm not trying to update it for 2005. I'm just trying to use updated technology to make a 1930s King Kong movie. And a lot of stuff that happens on this island is kind of proof positive. But so there's so many great sequences, but there's two problems. One You know, one thing that Spielberg gets a lot of credit for correctly is that not only does he know how to use amazing special effects and he's really good with special effects, but he seems to have a sense of like the limit of special effects whenever he's making a movie. So it's why you can go back to Jurassic Park. It's why you can go back to AI, like name or or Raiders or any of his special effects heavies movie, whether they're practical, whether it's CGI. And you rarely watch a Spielberg movie and are like, this has not held up. And then there's directors like Peter Jackson who are really good with special effects, but it's that excess thing you talked about, Peter, where they just are like, I want to do more. So you end up in this movie with some amazing sequences of like the three Tyrannosauruses against um, King Kong, the Brontosaurus raptor scene, which is great. And then he's like, I don't want to just show this amazing sequence of this like special effects that still look really good. I also want all my heroes running in between the legs of brontosauruses while velociraptors come. And watching that today now looks like like television level green screen fake. Um, or her or Anne Darrow in King Kong's hand as as she's battling the T Rexes. Like he wants to get really close and he really wants to put these special effects in your in your place. And he didn't seem to understand that the technology wasn't quite there to 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 get that close so all of the far away shots look gorgeous and then he just wants to get in there and, and create even more tension and then it's like this looks like garbage so that so that hurts him it's kind of a mishmash of like they go to they go to this monster and they go to this monster they go to this monster what do you, is there anything you think works or doesn't work so I actually so that's what I meant like it I honestly think it's it in the same scene it it'll go from working to not working to 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 vice versa like you have that the first part of the T-Rex battle where Andero's in his hand and he keeps cutting to her like and the motion of the actress is not matching with the CGI stuff like he probably should have got a practical hand in there or something like that. And it looks like garbage. And then right after that, they fall off the cliff 
and it's in the vines, and that looks amazing. I love that. The whole yeah. thing looks like is just gorgeous. And then they land, and he puts Anne Darrow down, so you don't have to go to close-ups anymore. And then that sequence is great. And then the after sequence to that is great. But and same with the brontosaurus raptor thing. Like at first, you see the brontosauruses, gorgeous. They start stampeding, gorgeous. Then he gets really in between the legs, and people are dodging legs and raptors, and it looks like garbage. So oh yeah, oh yeah. So it's not it's not even like I think scenes by scene. Like, some look good and some look bad. It's that he had the scene. Like, he had everything working great and special effects that hold up 13 years. He just didn't seem to know the limit of where that technology was in the in the same way that, like, a Spielberg seems to somehow understand, like, this is not going to look good. And I honestly think it is almost a – he's almost seeing the future of Spielberg because I don't remember these scenes looking bad in 2005. Maybe they did. Maybe I mean, who knows what I thought uh, in 2005. In 2005, I definitely thought the uh, certain moments of it looked intensely artificial. Yeah. But I, I think that the everything Kong related looks pretty fantastic. Yeah. In terms of like, especially Kong moving slowly, doing human stuff looks fantastic. But you're right. Certain stuff in 2005, I remember specifically being bad. The thing you just called out, the brontosaurus uh, running around and everyone running around the brontosaurus lakes. It not only doesn't make any fucking sense rationally. Yeah. There's no weight to anything. There's no weight to anything. It doesn't make sense rationally because they can't outrun a brontosaurus. <laughs> it doesn't and, make there's sense. Ra- and then he's like throwing raptors. Like his 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 uh, need to get that excessive just really takes you out. This is my – I'm going to say something that's maybe uh, a little controversial. The one reason that I rarely rewatch the Loader movies isn't because I don't love the characters. I don't love the design. I the don't Loader the movies? Uh, Lord of the Rings. Oh, wait, hold on. Let's we'll pause there. Yeah. You call them the Lorder movies? L- Loader. So, wh- because that's the abbreviation? L-O-T-R? Yeah. Yeah. Would it be Lotter? No, Loader. The the uh, Lord of the Rings movies, one of my problems with it is that I feel like this movie demonstrates it in a way that people didn't necessarily see in Lord of the Rings, that I did. There is a sense of exhaustion I think that certain battle sequences in Lord of the Rings went on way too fucking long. Yeah. And they needed to know when to make an impression. I don't need to know every single plot movement of this chess game that is a battle from everybody's perspective. We can forget about Gimli for five minutes. Like, just please, for the love of God, just have somebody show up with some orc blood on them and be like, it was a tough battle. But, like, I don't need to see fucking everything because it's too hard for me to get emotionally invested in 20 characters and see each of those 20 characters survive a long battle. It's the same thing with yep. this. And it's well, even worse because in Lord of the Rings, I care about every last one of the characters. In King Kong, I care about maybe three to five of them. That's the other like problem with the second half. And again, this is not like a problem like it sinks it. But it goes to the excess thing. Like the, in the original King Kong, they're moving around the island and they literally are like moving from – scene to scene which is like a one minute scene and then you see holy shit there's a there's brontosauruses here holy shit there's a tyrannosaurus here holy shit there's a weird sea monster here there's an iguana thing that in a you know a dimetrodon and like they're just going on these really quick like tour through the island to get you a sense of like how lost in time this island is that it feels like a very like when i think of 1933's king kong which is like one of my top 25 favorite movies of all time um, that island feels because you get such short short glimpses into the possibilities of that island. That island feels dense, 
with creatures. And this island feels incredibly shallow with creatures, like incredibly flat. Because they're wandering around with nothing out of the ordinary for quite a lot of time, which is, you know, so they're just walking in jungle. And then anytime they do meet something, Peter Jackson does two things. He makes it a set piece. Like every encounter with any creature is this five to ten minute long set. Oh, it's so exhausting. And every single one is... Oh, you know what's better than one giant bat? A thousand giant bats. You know what's better than a couple weird bugs? A village full of them. You know what's better than a couple brontosauruses? All the brontosaurus. Yes. Like, he, he, he does everything as these, like, giant groups of things, which is so bizarre when the rest of the island is empty. Like, they're walking around. There's nothing. There's not even, like, a giant mosquito flying around. And then, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, there's, like, literally eight million of something. And then it's a 15-minute scene where he just keeps showing it over and over. So, again, it makes the it makes the island itself feel completely empty. And then it's very bizarre when every single time there's just a shit ton of them. And almost all the set pieces just go on too long. I think, you know, you the, the bug one especially is like, I get it. Adrian Brody's trying to take crickets off of them for – he's doing that same move. Oh, 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 oh. At least – it's terrible. The reason the bug scene feels long is because it is after so many other scenes. Yeah. I think the bug scene, isolated, is the best uh, people versus monsters scene in the movie. I think it's better than the brontosaurus chase, the raptor chase. I think the bugs are really have aged really well, most of them. A, a few of the grasshoppers, not so much, but the bugs have aged Oh, I really love well. I love the leech weird monster. Oh, oh those are is. great. The one that eats Andy Circus is the yeah. pirate. We should note, Andy Circus also plays a, uh, you know, like a Popeye-looking pirate captain. Yeah, I think that's great. like a I think it's like a hint at Andy Serkis being like, I could play the captain in Tintin, right, Peter? And Peter Jackson's like, yeah, definitely. Um, You're still going to play that monkey, though, right? Yeah. <laughs> we really need you for the so, monkey. If you want to be a captain, you can be a captain, but Keep this in mind. After they land on the island, there are two scenes in the movie where the captain shows up with machine guns and a bunch of crew and rescues everybody. Yeah, I know. It happens... That happens twice. twice in the movie. Make it once. Pick pick like what scene you want. Do you want the racist native scene or do you want the bug scene? Do you want the bug scene or do you want the raptor scene? Like you need to condense some of this shit because like a lot of scenes don't establish anything new. They take Anne all the way back to the boat during the second act. So they go into the, 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 the jungle to you know with everybody they get Anne out of the jungle right and gets yeah. taken then they have to go back in the jungle to get her from kong and then bring them out of the jungle and you know oh they captured kong also why is yeah. that path into the island just one forward path and then they find a way to get Anne and the monkey out yeah. without doing like why does Anne have to get captured on the boat like there's so much redundant shit in here. And that's what's so frustrating. So it's not that I don't like these set pieces. It's yeah. just that it's just that it, it's it's very much a love hate or like a love shrug or a like fine. Because it's like, okay, you're gonna keep going with this, or oh, is it all of them again? Is it all of the animals at once? So they start out really cool or you appreciate the special effects or the creature design, and then every single one just starts not only taking too long on its own, but like you said, piling up to another one of these. Like the bats, like the bats attacking King Kong suddenly. And it's not just like a bat. It's all the bats 
because he jumped up for a second, like at his home. It was just like, all right, that's 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 enough. And actually, like one of the which sucks because a lot of the special effects are really good, and a lot of the moments inside those two long moments are are, are great. Uh, but it's why I kind of appreciate there's this scene that lasts for like 15 seconds where you see kind of a wide shot of this waterfall and like the interior of the island, and like a triceratops walks up just one. And takes a drink out of the water. And you're like, that looked cool. That's all I need. Like, I, I needed more of them just walking through the island. And in the background, there's something weird for a second. Like, you're so right. Uh, not a, a lot of the best action, a lot of the best scenes in the movie are little small moments. Yeah. And moments of human drama, not bravura action sequences. Like, yeah, just make the island feel overwhelming with these creatures that shouldn't exist or or you or, or should be long dead or something like that. And then pick one or two scenes to have like some sort of conflict with those creatures instead of only showing the creatures when there's conflict and only knowing how to show how to increase the uh the the tenseness of the situation by saying i'm gonna throw all the creatures so it just feels overwhelming all the time for everyone and and instead it just comes out feeling like okay so right here there's a billion bugs but if you step eight feet to the left there's nothing that that doesn't that doesn't make this seem just like a normal jungle. Have you played the King Kong video game? Yeah, love it. It's really good. The King Kong video game from like Xbox 360, PS3 era. It was yeah. really good. Um, it's no really HUD. Like, uh, that was the big yeah. thing at the time. It had no HUD. It had no HUD. It's really stripped down. It's like a very good game that's kind of been forgotten by time because at the time every video game movie was or every movie video game was bad. Yeah. Uh, but. <laughs> One of the sort of things about video games that I think a lot of people struggle with, or I guess just nerds struggle with, is that video games are so based in violence and that like sometimes video games just feel like they're like colonialism simulators where you just like walk into a space, kill everything in the space, next room, walk in the space, kill everything in the space. That game feels like that, but it works because it's a, a video game. You see a bunch of monsters, you're like, shit, I have to go kill those monsters. Movies don't have to be that. It doesn't have to be like, well, either Kong or the humans are going into the space. <laughs> yeah. Our Kong or the humans going to kill everything in this space. You don't have to be like uh, Adrian Brody at one point and just be like, did I set this on hard? Because <laughs> there's too many enemies. Like, yeah. It's not, it's not fun. Like, it was cool at first, but now I'm in these rooms. It's just not worth it. Like, I'm not getting to the story beats that are <laughs> intriguing or the exploration. I'm just... I'm just losing all my ammo, gutting down uh, an endless wave of enemies. Yeah, I think that's I think that's like kind of how I want to cap the second act discussion because I really want to top this episode with talking about love and monsters. I want to talk about Anne yeah. and Kong. That seems like a perfect way to wrap this up. So I think that the last forty minutes of this movie are a masterpiece. Um, honestly, you know, if I if I watch this in the future in my on my own, I could see myself just throwing on the last act and watching that because it is touching. It is, I mean, it is, it's amazing what they accomplished. And again, I guess that's why I'm not surprised this got the accolades it did. Like Roger Ebert named it his eighth favorite movie or best movie of 2005 because you watch this segment, this third act, and you walk away knowing that what they've accomplished here is something special and maybe has never been repeated and maybe maybe hasn't been repeated until the shape of water 
which was obviously a movie that we covered and a different take on like love and monsters but you know getting the jokes of like did she, you know she can't fuck the monkey out of the way like there is true chemistry not romantic chemistry but like the love you have for an animal or a family member or uh, a best friend or something like that like that kind of thing like you would do anything for um but it's not romantic but it is like true love and it just it's so it, every scene from the ice skating rink to uh them on top of that tower which which would just maybe I'll save the tower discussion the empire state building because that's a whole great Capper, it's the best but part of the movie. It's so it's that so thrilling. Sequence. It is so thrilling. I mean, it, it's thrilling, and it's like, have you ever not wanted something to die in a movie more than that moment? And in some ways, that works for it because you're watching this, and you're watching fucking King Kong. And unless your movie's name is Kong Skull Island, and he needs to go fight Mothra later on, like <laughs> King Kong's biting the big one at the end of this. And somehow that inevitability makes that moment. There's that moment where he she stops the, the airplane from firing. Yes. And she's like jumps up and that's her f- re- saving him. You know, he saved her a few times or thought he was saving her. Uh, and now she is putting herself in harm's way uh, to save him. And the gunner on the airplane realizes what's happening and stops shooting only for the gut-wrenching moment of King Kong getting shot in the back by two planes that didn't see her waving. I think it's hard to talk about the movie without just immediately jumping to uh, Anne and Kong because – and I'm glad that we actually discussed the movie as an entire piece first because I agree with you. There's – uh, a, a true beauty in this movie that understands love in a way that's like both about mutual respect when they're sort of courting each other in the second act. Like he, she makes her laugh and, and he keeps like prodding her to keep performing for her. her. And then she has to put her da- her foot down. He screams at her to try and scare her into doing what he wants. And then she puts her foot back down and then they respect each other. Yeah. There's, there's and then after that she wants to protect him and like the nature of the protection is you know you could read it anything she could see him as a father figure she could see him as a lover she could see him as a child she could see him as a best friend a pet you could see him as any as a lot of different things and the point Peter, you don't think that if they if she would have seen him as a father figure that peter jackson would have played george michael's father figure so we all knew the problem is you would have had to do like a 1930s big band cover of it <laughs> um, yeah, just you to just lay it or under so that so that people in the know are like, I get I it. it, I got it. That would be a fun way to make jokes in your movie, or like dirty little like Arrested Development style jokes. Is just putting uh, music cues to pop songs uh, underneath stuff. So you're um, Bioshock Infinite, then? Yes. Uh, <laughs> you know, a lot of video was, game ref. I hope, hope you guys watch, play video games. Hot refs. Um, yeah. But uh, she could perform – I think that the the beauty of the the thing is that it's transcendent of the individual roles that human beings perform for one another. Like human beings have to sort each other into columns, sometimes to avoid incest, sometimes because you don't need people for specific tasks or like, you know, it's incompatible. Like some people, uh, you know, 
some people need people to be a boyfriend and some people need somebody to just be a friend. Like, and then some people just need like, um, you know, somebody to help take care of them and somebody needs somebody that they can take care of. Uh, it's, these are all different sort of a, kinds of relationships. Also sort of just like the world's most amazing and terrifying pet. So I watched the first two acts when I was the only one at home and then people came home and we ate dinner and then my daughter went to sleep and then I watched the last act uh, before we we did something else together. And she had to turn her back to the screen to not watch King. She's like, I don't want to watch King Kong dying. Yes. Like, and then she was like looking at her phone and at some point I had to turn her back so because there's a chair that sits sideways like perpendicular to the TV. So she'd like turned her back and like put her feet up so that she didn't even have to accidentally glimpse it. That any animal lover could see it, but also just anybody with a sense of like human empathy because Andy Serkis, the special effects team and Peter Jackson and, and Naomi Watts, Naomi Watts making it feel human. Yeah. You know, that's, it's sort of like, what is a human being? A human being is someone that sees their own reflection. It's like, you need somebody you need to see humanity sort of reflected uh, in order for it to exist. Holy shit. I think father figure works a little more because it's put your tiny hand in mine. <gasps> she has she has a tiny hand compared to King Kong. Like in a literal sense, yes. Literally, yeah. Do you think George Michael wrote that about King Kong? I think George Michael was thinking of King Kong. Uh, I think that George Michael literally wanted to have sex with King Kong. Um, but I don't know if George Michael, uh, that came together. Oh, I mean, if, if he had sex with King Kong, I hope they came together the sweetest way. I hope that George Michael and King Kong, if they hypothetically could make love, <laughs> could experience that. Sorry, I'm crying. <laughs> I, I think that there is a wonderful thing about her wanting to protect him and take him in, but and keep protect him from exploitation and murder. And but also like he is the big strong one. Like he's the unkillable massive monster. Um, the most important thing I think we got to talk about this month is how monsters, uh, these love and monster movies balance the compassion that monsters feel and the brutality. And I think that Kong balances both. We get to see him do horrific acts of violence against people and other monsters, and other monsters, dinosaurs, animals. And yeah. also we get to see him be so gentle and sweet and understanding. And he learns throughout the movie. Like he learn he learns that he doesn't want to kill people. Like, does he? Uh, they put him in, a, they put him in a corner at the end of the movie where he like has to defend himself. And she's just like, she doesn't know how to feel because she's like, she both wants him to them to stop. But like, but did he ever? Did he ever kill people? I still. That's one of those other things where, like, because you could just make the case he's just a monkey that lived on the island and he killed like a carnivore would kill. But monkeys also eat. Like apes are omnivores, so who knows what he ate? You know, he's just sitting up there on his little porch, watching the world and kind of and lonely. We we didn't really get a chance to get into the loneliness of like any King Kong movie, but he's the only one. Something that Kong Skull Island kind of. Uh, explains why and, and adds to that. But this this has that sense of, like, finding someone. If I was going to say the other thing besides the, uh, in my opinion, <laughs> uh, Beauty Killed the Beast line not really working in this take on the material, I would say the King Kong takes sacrifices and, like, because in the original he eats them. You see all the bones and then, but and Darrow is, like, white and blonde haired and different it's implied so he's like what is this one this is weird and 
the version of King Kong from this movie doesn't really work as someone who like has been eating people and then all of a sudden is like, well, this one's weird. Like it it seems it seems like he's not I, I don't the the whole tying her up and and uh and having King Kong grab her we don't see like do we see a lot of bones of people like I, I don't know that doesn't really work well with the rest of the movie it's definitely one of those artifacts of I mean it's iconic you can't not have Fay Ray type you know tied to the posts and having that's that's like one of the most famous images along with the ending line of this movie but they don't really work I think with this with this version of who King Kong ends up being. I think that uh, when you're talking about the racial implications of the original movie, because the original movie has been argued to be um, a racist movie, but also yeah. a progressive movie from different perspectives. And, you know, it depends on which light you're viewing Look, it in. Let's just say this. It's a 1930s movie. It's a racist movie on some level. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's sort of like Haxon when we were trying to decide how much credit to give the movie because you're like, Haxon is firm, firmly saying that you should put your trust in mental health professionals. And this is but this is also leading towards some of the worst excesses of yeah. the mental health. Haxon wasn't Haxon wasn't saying because it seemed like the most woke movie ever. And then it's like it's 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 not witchcraft that makes the women crazy. It's their broken brains. <laughs> like you go call a doctor. Don't don't worry about the religious implications. Yes. It's like oh, never mind, Haxon. So uh, trust pseudoscience, not fantasy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's similar to that where you're like you're trying to figure out how much credit to give the movie. This movie um, carries over without realizing it's some of that racial stuff. Um, for instance, like. By making the uh, the 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 by less leaning into uh, the stereotypes of what uh, you know black islander trop like a you know Pacific islander people people of color would uh, look like by not leaning into stereotypes that they, people might have seen in you know magazines and in you know yeah. films they also they make them monstrous they there's no humanity in the people of color in this movie which is something that Skull Island. Which I think overall is, you know, has better fights, but much, much worse characters. Um, yeah. Skull Island, I think, is better on. Skull Island imbues the, the natives with personality and they're like funny, but also dignified, but also like they're like not like scared of new technology and they're not sacrificing women. They're just like, yeah. we live on this island. We have an accord with Kong and that relationship that's not violent between them and Kong kind of allows you to trust Kong when somebody is in close proximity with him. Yeah. No, I agree that that's I, I agree that Skull Island's way better on it. Here's why I'm not going to say it works for me, but I think. His take on it is like makes me feel less concerned with the with with underlying racism because I kind of like that a they're not in the movie that long right it is not a big part of this movie in the way it is with King Kong Root and Skull Island it is like five minutes they meet him strap her to the thing they're done they're out of the movie. And instead, you get, like, the 1920s version of them, which is, like, these later on in the King Kong show that is, like, this horribly racist character of these, like, goofy islanders. But I feel like Peter Jackson leans very heavily in that moment into his, like, that horror movie that I don't even see him necessarily as, like... He makes orcs. (laughs) Yeah, but I think he just makes them, like... 
I don't think orcs is the right word because he was making like these kind of horror movies way before Lord of the Rings. And I feel like I, – I don't know. He's I think he's just like, let's just make them weird and scary and like terrifying and then that's it. Like they're gone. They're these, this terrifying group of people that live on this island that just strapped a woman up on this thing. And that's all you get to find out about them ever. And if I lean into the horror aspects, I don't have to deal with the primitive – racial implications so in a way though that's i mean it's bo- both are colonialist but i think in a way that's worse because like i under- uh, i understand that if you're saying like this is what these sav you know quote-unquote savages or that verge because that's the part i wrestle with a little but i i don't know it's it's, it's really not still, great it's, it's not great and gross i think they're both it's not gross great, but yeah it's not good like i'm not i guess i'm not trying to defend it it just it felt like he's like, shit, this is an important part of this movie. How do I not make it fucking horribly racist like the original? Oh, I'll just make them terrifying and unknowable as in horror movie villains. And I agree with you. That causes its own problems. I, I guess maybe maybe I'm giving a little bit of credit to, well, he tried something and I, I see what he was going for. But then again, there's no black people in Lord of the Rings and – Australia, New Zealand is notoriously racist, so who knows? Yeah, and I, I, I mean, he did cast um, Aboriginal people, I believe, for this movie. Um, yeah. Which is, like, kind of cool that he is like, okay, we're at least going to bring in outside actors. It's not just going to be, like, white people painted up in orc makeup or whatever. Uh, my sense is that he tried. It's like, situation. Yeah, my sense is kind of like, I maybe I'm giving too much credit and I should be rightfully lambasted for because Def- I don't I really don't want to sound like I'm defending it but it's kind of the uh Morgan Freeman in Robin Hood uh Prince of Thieves situation for me a little bit like um yeah they they tried something and it doesn't come across great but it it feels like their heart was in the right place even if they missed the target pretty pretty bad so that's I my, think that the, I, I kind of yeah I think it's a complicated issue I think that's why I I, yeah, I, I just think they're both bad. I don't want to say which one's worse because they're both just like manipulations of a lack of understanding of what natives versus civilized people means. Um, yeah. I think the bigger problem here is that both movies have white bullets fix natives. Yeah. Like there's no, scenes of white bu- white men coming in with guns and the natives run away and get shot down. And it's sort of like, oh, thank God the cavalry is here. Um, yeah. Which is. Yeah. Again, and, the, and those definitely like you could say like. And I, I would actually make the case that, hey, why did you even try to take that racist shit and put it in a 2005 movie? Um, you didn't need it because that doesn't work with the rest of your movie in the same way I think the last line doesn't work in the rest of your movie. But I get it. It feels like, well, how are we going to make a King Kong movie without this? It's like, I don't know. You can make a you can remake Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers and not have weird blackface like in Swing Time. I think you'll be fine. <laughs> you yeah. know, figure out something else, I guess. Um, so really it's just, it's more confusing movie. in this one because this movie is so humanizing, I think. Um, each character is, yeah. that dies is given their own moment. They're given a buildup. Their death is given import. Their names get said again. There's this whole running plot with Carl Denham saying, Where's like, keep, He's keeping track of who his show is for. Like, these 18 men who have died, I'm dedicating it to them because as each one dies, he keeps adding to the list. That's very dark, but very funny about It's like, great black humor, yeah. yeah. Um, and not, not just Jack black humor, like it, dark black humor. 
Oh wow, I didn't even think of that. Um, so yeah, I think I think uh, uh, jumping back to we sh- we should probably wrap this movie up. Uh, yeah, let's I'm wrap glad it we up. We did get to go into the racial stuff because like that was something that bothered me most about the movie, and we kind of like ended up skipping it because we ran through the problems of the second act really quickly, and they are all kind of shoved in there and then forgotten. Um, yeah, yeah, it's not uh, thankfully forgotten. Thankfully, thankfully. So, so yeah, so my final thoughts on this movie is I'm really glad that we did it because it was fun revisiting it. And, you know, I said this a few weeks ago for Never Ending Story. Like, if you're going to rewatch, like, a movie, a four-star movie from 2005, it's fun to be able to talk about it. Because if not, because if not, you're just kind of like, oh, yeah, why did I spend three hours watching this? Like, I don't know. Who wants to talk about King Kong? No one else no one else has seen this since 2005 either. Uh, so this was this was a really good way to revisit. I like that we were able to fit it into this month. Um, I can almost guarantee we're going to do the original King Kong at some point. Um, I think it makes sense to do this one first because this one was a, it was a huge deal. Every other King Kong or King Kong version was trying to like update the material and Peter Jackson's masterstroke, which got a lot of press at the time, was no, like this story makes the most sense in the 1930s. Let's set it in the 1930s. And he built a New York. And I think his 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 big crimes in the movie is sticking a little bit too close to the source material when he's all of his stretches from it, like the love story and some of the other things. I think were pretty successful. It was when he kind of hemmed too closely and just not really understanding his own limits of special effects and then causing a lot of a, a very weird dichotomy of groans and cheers sometimes that happen like within seconds of each other. Like, this looks great. Uh, this is this piece of garbage that doesn't belong on the sci-fi channel. Like, so it, it doesn't hold up as well as I'd like, but if I'm going to give the first two acts three stars at being fine but not great and having a lot of problems, I'm going to give the last act six out of five stars, and that puts it at an average of four stars. So, because that last act is worth – is it's worth the f- any problems or boredom you have in the first two hours. I hate to be this guy, but the movie is like one – butchers edit away from a great movie which is rarely true (coughs) rarely true um i think like there's some dario argento movies that have been hacked to shit by distributors that i'm like actually creepers is better than the original movie yeah like actually the you know uh the the hatchet murders or whatever is better than deep red like yeah uh, occasionally uh the the hatchet men the monsters that come in and cut these movies down to shape uh are wiser well i've never Um, seen the director's cut but he added an hour it's like take out an hour and you got a you got an amazing movie yeah i would have been it would have been curious to see him like struggle be like Peter Jackson, tell this movie in two and a half hours, two hours, yeah. 20 minutes, something like that. So the the scene that we need to talk about is uh, the ice skating sequence. I think that that is the perfect encapsulation of the movie because and it's really short, actually. I feel like it yeah. should be longer. Um, I remembered it being longer. It's again, one too. of those weird moments where, again, the pacing in this movie is a fucking mess because it's like, give us a couple more minutes there. We don't need two minutes of Adrian Brody shaking cockroaches 
in the same motion over and over again. Yeah, and the whole third act is this beautiful New York scene, the you know scenescape of this like uh, golden lights and beautifully colorful. It's sort of like a vision of the Roaring Twenties that it opens with, uh, except for. Uh, it has it that like you understanding what a car can do and a train can do and what a building does gives you such a great sense of gravity when Kong smashes a car into a building. Like whereas in the jungle, sometimes it can feel like this green digital hell. And you're just like, well, I guess that's what the tree does. Um, yeah, it, it gives you more of a sense of gravity because you've been to a city or you know what New York looks like. And there's this ice skating sequence that just pops out of seemingly nowhere where they're running away. And then for a moment, they find Anne and Kong find this like beautiful sense of peace, this separation from everybody. It's a and nice moment of silence in a movie that like is that serialized adventure of go, go, go. Yes. And I wish the movie had more of those scenes. I think it's the best scene in the movie. And I think the way it ends with a truck pulling up and firing at both of them with a machine gun is uh, a uh, Peter Jackson showing off his uh, visual filmmaking prowess in a way that he doesn't always get to show off where it's like, hey, this is Peter Jackson could tell a silent movie. Uh, the yeah. original Kong is not a silent movie, but if he needed if he needed to make it, you know, less talky, he could have fucking done it. So it, yeah. it's it's both what the movie does and a promise of what the movie could have been. Um, and yeah, we've talked about the problems with the movie, but like we'll always have that. And I think that that scene and that sense of power is something that we have not gotten in many monster movies, many big budget movies. This just escapist beauty and i think that that's the, the image you should be left with in this movie not the bloated mess that is the first and second act well and it's interesting parallels to shape of water because the shape of water has that moment in the fantasy dance sequence like where they get a second to be at peace and just uh and just be together um this this movie actually i think or maybe just the story of king kong obviously now that i've rewatched it recently after seeing the shape of water I feel like the, the structure is a little similar in a lot of respects like that and Frank – like more so than even Frankenstein because obviously uh, the only girl that Frankenstein loved, she threw right in a fucking pond. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, this, this movie is – it's worth your time. It's not as good as it was in 2005. Last act, like epic filmmaking that I would say that <sighs> – I, I would go so far as to say that with the exception of Heavenly Creatures, Peter Jackson hadn't made before, even though I love a lot of his earlier movies or his 90s movies, uh, and then has definitely never made sense, unless unless there's some parts of Hobbit 2 or 3 that measure up to this, because I have not seen those, and we're definitely never fucking doing them for the show, so... I will do the uh, combined cut of all three of them into one three-hour movie, uh, and I will do the combined cut of the Star Wars prequels into one movie. I will review those, but I will never actually do either of it's, those it's, sets of movies. Fa- are the, is the Hobbit ones fan edits? Oh, both are... Both are fan edits. George well, Lucas I knew Star was never Wars like... Was, yeah. I knew Star Wars... Like, that's obvious, because George Lucas is a psychopath. I can see... I can see Peter Jackson being like, I don't know, short one, maybe? Have that. Oh, I would love if PJ came in and was like, 
Uh, yeah, you know what? The studio said that we can make more money off of the Hobbit movies if I come back in and I do some editing with all these masters that no one else has. And we'd be like, yeah. and I'd be like, that will be a version of the movie that I'll buy. Like, don't put it on. He doesn't have to put it on VOD. He doesn't have to do anything. Just like you have to buy the movie. It's a specialty cut just for some people. And I can guarantee you that people would react to it ecstatically. P- Peter Jackson needs to have his drag me to hell. That's what he needs. He needs to do the Sam Raimi right off of Spider-Man 3. I was a big I was a small budget guy. I got to be a big budget guy. I went well over my means and my ability and I lost the thread. I'm going to go back to my roots. I'm going to get grounded. I'm going to do a. A $10 million horror movie. That's, that's what, what Pete Jackson needs to do. That's what Lovely Bones was supposed to be, and then it didn't work. Well, that was supposed to be his Heavenly Creatures, right? <sighs> that was Heavenly Creatures is so good. But that's what it was supposed to be, right? Like, it was supposed to be him, like, a small where you had your, form. Yeah, this is where you had your greatest success. But Heavenly Creatures was a weird one-off for him at the time. Like, that's not his roots. That was his, that was his like, stretch at the time. He's this indie horror movie maker from New Zealand, do a little bit of $5 million prestige pick. That was his stretch. He needs to go back to his roots, not his branches. Do you think no direct, do you think a lot of up and coming directors will not do, uh, after Book of Henry, a lot of upcoming directors will not do a weird little side project anymore? You're right. Well, I was just going to say you're right, because Book of Henry is absolutely Colin Trevorrow's heavenly creatures if you could follow that logic but you're right it's absolutely that that's a great point and it's also what got him kicked off of star wars 3 um by some accounts kathleen kennedy finally saw a book of by some accounts she finally saw a book of henry and she was like all right we have an excuse to get rid of this guy (laughs) yeah thankfully because his his movies are not that good so we should all be watching book of henry and worshiping this movie that kept him from doing a star wars movie yeah, and J.J. Abrams coming back is fine. Yeah. Not I would prefer so. another Ryan Johnson in there, but J.J. Abrams is a very, very competent director who's done some very good movies. So, yeah, so check this out. So, the last thing we'll say is Peter Jackson's last direct director, directorial uh, effort is The Hobbit Battle of Five Armies, which he probably finished in, like, at least shooting in, like, 2011? Because they yeah. were all shot simultaneously with or at least like maybe 2012 when the Hobbit the first one came out, he has nothing on his slate. No, he's doing a Tintin sequel. Uh, not according to Wikipedia. Uh, IMDb has too many rumored stuff. I'm not going with that. Like, I need like in production. Yeah, supposedly they're in production on Tintin 2, which I would love because the first Tintin is amazing and it does feel like this weird amalgam of uh it's you know peter jackson and steven spielberg and its actual director uh, so it's a it's yeah a, it's it's weird though that he like he he's like done he'll uh i think he'll be um i think he'll be stepping into the shadows for a little bit i think he's going to insist on being a producer for a while and uh yeah i think he's yeah. gonna be i think he's gonna be stepping away from being a director and then hopefully he'll find something that just really catches his eye maybe he'll go to tv like i don't know what his next thing will be uh peter if you're listening go make your drag me to hell you got it bud Oh, that'd be so cool to see him do, like, a big, gooey alien zombie movie, something like yeah. that. Like, not necessarily aliens or zombies, but, you know, like, uh, something that lets him, like, delve into gore and comedy at once. Yeah. No, he needs he needs that. Then 
Then you come back out, I think, fresh and refreshed. What did Sam Raimi do after Drag Me High? I don't remember. Was it good? I hope so, because if not, it doesn't prove my point at all. Well, it does, It did mean that he uh, got reinvested in um, doing the Ash vs. Evil Dead show, which is quite good. Very, so, very the it. only thing he's done since then, besides two episodes of the TV show Rake, you remember Rake? Uh. <laughs> Starring Great Kinnear, the, 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 the television show Rake? Yeah, yeah, I 13 episodes Rake. on Fox? With Great Kinnear, he's got a stake on his face. Yeah, Rake was Oz the Great and Powerful, which is a movie I love, but does not serve my point probably very well. No. Um, all right, so yeah, let's end uh, this. Next, my week. dog is barking. My Your dogs, dogs are barking. barking, and my dogs are barking, and my dog is barking. So what's next uh, we, week? Last one, my little baby boy, my little bit sweet baby. I don't know why I call him my baby boy. <laughs> um, it's uh, my my sweet little baby. Movie Spring. I'm so excited to talk about it. That is gonna be uh yeah. So it's spring. I'm so excited to talk about it. Uh, and then uh. Next month is going to be a Nostalgia Audit Month. We're going to be doing Flight of the Navigator, Maverick, Ghostbusters 2, and Tremors. So I'm very excited for that. We're only uh, – and we'll announce guests next week. Yeah. It's uh, going to be a very good time. And then we will be uh, not off but off for a little bit for ourselves. But for the audience, you'll never know. Yeah. This this right now was recorded years ago. <laughs> Just a glimmer in our eye. So we love to watch babies. We love to watch babies. It's coming. Uh, yeah. So much like King Kong, I want you to h- climb your <laughs> highest tower of potential and you know look down. Hopefully, you get to stay up there a little bit because baby, you've made it. <laughs> baby, you've made it to the place where you will die. <laughs> Baby, you're a fire. <laughs> Good night. Good night. Hey folks, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we've got just a few quick announcements for you. There ain't nothing in the rule book that says that we can't do some of our own plugs, baby. If you'd like to talk to us, uh, tell us we're stupid, tell us we're beautiful. The quickest way to get to us is our Facebook group, facebook.com slash we love to watch. Or our website, WLTWpodcast.com. Leave us a comment. Tell us we're doing a good job. Only tell us we're doing a good job. We're so sensitive. We're sensitive boys. We're soft boys. And uh, if you'd like to help other people, if you enjoy our show and want other people to be able to listen to this fine, fine program that we produce at no cost, We don't get any money for this. You guys have yet to pay us anything. We live and we breathe off of good reviews from iTunes. So if you would please go to iTunes, review our show, give us a positive rating. We would love to get more and more people involved in this show and this community. I know you hear it all the time, but it really does help. And we're also available if you don't use iTunes. We're also available on Google Music, Stitcher, 
tune in we're currently on soundcloud we'll take that out if soundcloud goes away (laughs) that's it thanks for listening stay tuned guys on our facebook page especially we're gonna have a lot more polls a lot more prizes and a lot more uh interaction with you guys so keep it tuned in uh let us know what you guys are thinking and again above all else thanks for listening to we love to watch